Welcome to Unbooking the Tank Atari, the bonus series from Booking the Territory, where we look at the ups and downs of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. This week, Tank Abbott and Rick Steiner face Mike Awesome and Canyon. I'm going to give you the chance of a lifetime there, Doug Dillinger. I'll let you come out here and take a shot on me. Wait till he finds out what's behind door number one. Something down the road at the Silverdome in six playing to an empty house. Because the real deal is here. Oh, here he comes. Get that fat duck ass out here. I'll tell you something, Mike. He's not done yet. This man, Tank Abbott, is making a name for himself. So how are you this week, Dan? I'm doing good, Sam, although I've got to pull you up on something straight away. You did not give him his full title. It's positively Canyon, not just Canyon. I never know. I mean, is it Chris Champagne Canyon? <laughs> is it positively Champagne? Yeah, it could be, know. yeah. It's, it's a little bit of bubbly Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Bubbles Canyon. Bubbles. Oh, like that character off um, Little Britain. <laughs> That bubbles. Oh dear God! <laughs> I was just thinking, it bubbles Canyon sounds like a porn star name, but now you've you've th- you've fucking killed that dead. <laughs> but I'm 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 all good, mate. I'm a wee bit frazzled today, but in the best way possible. I've, I've had a really nice relaxing week off actually, and just don't know whether I'm coming and going. Had a had a good few beers and uh, yeah, coming into it a bit loosey goosey yeah. tonight. Ready, ready to crack on with it by the sounds of it. And if you've had a few beers, are you drinking now? I am indeed. In fact, um, opening my first one because of uh, <laughs> that's probably why you're opening four cans at once. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. I've, uh, I've been on the uh, the bad kitty um, in my dad's local uh, this afternoon, and now I'm starting uh, Polly's Rosebud uh, IPA. So we'll see how that goes. It doesn't say that it's flavoured with rose or anything like that, but why not? And then I've got an old favourite. I've got Turning Points Chip Hazard, which is a mint chocolate ice cream uh, pale ale. And then I'll uh, after that, if we get that far, I'll be uh, I'll be making like a choir boy, and I've uh, I've got a few bishop's fingers to get inside me. Wow, uh, bringing the uh, spot of wrestling into disrepute there with uh, those kind of connections. Yeah, more just. No, anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to go any further with that joke. I'll just leave it be. <laughs> it's probably for the best. Moving yeah. swiftly on. Uh, I'm drinking Porter by Zero Over Zero Brewing. Uh, so they didn't think of coming up with a name for it. Uh, let's say uh, Swedish Porter. It's uh, 5.4%. It's quite nice. I've given it 3.25 on untapped. I think you gave that one three. So um, in the same sort of ballpark. And then I've got a couple of pilsners to follow that. I've got... Swimp Nickels, uh, which is a superior pilsner brewed with intuition and experience. Uh, 1680 recipe, and that's a, a Dutch pilsner, 5.4%. And then I've got a Bellhaven Brewery Craft Pilsner uh, at uh, 4.8%. So uh, a couple of pilsners there. So that'll be nice. But uh, if you want a drink and you don't want to drink what we're drinking, but you want to drink some decent beer, um, log on to tarasbeers.co.uk and put in the promo code UTCPODCAST15 and you get 15% off. Rob, they're making out like the beer we're currently drinking is all shit. Um, it's not shit, it's just not as good as Tartarus because very little is. Exactly, it's comparatively. 
yeah, it's not personal Polly's Brewery or any of the other ones. It's just general, so it includes you. Um, anyway. So the match that we're covering today, um, the Canyon and Mike Awesome versus Tank and Rick Steiner is from the 14th of June 2000 Thunder. On the way there, there's no Tank appearance on the 12th of June Nitro, but well, I've watched any. Uh, I know you've watched it as well. Yeah, not necessarily well, going to make any notes. Yeah, not necessarily going to do an in-depth review, but we'll just um, just run through what happened on the show just to give a bit of context as as things will flow through. Um, at the start of the show, we get uh, Goldberg out with Bischoff and Russo explaining why he's joined uh, the New Blood. We also uh, lost, uh, topless Scott Hudson. Yes, we did. Scott Hudson is topless because. Um, he um, took the piss out of Russo for um, being seen topless uh, uh, last week on um, at, at the pay-per-view. So, uh, unfortunately, he's been forced to be topless. So, well, he's got a tie on, so he's not, not entirely topless, no, but most topless. <laughs> I, think, I think the tie went low with his chest hair. That, that man has, uh, or had, has, probably still has, a uh, fairly hairy torso. But fair he, play, he rocked it. Yeah, yeah, uh, out there with confidence. Uh, Goldberg saying that he made uh, WCW and then Nash comes out and says the Millionaires Club made Goldberg. Uh, we end up with police coming out to restrain Nash. Uh, they mace him and handcuff him. Uh, Vince Russo says he doesn't want him arresting. He wants uh, Nash versus Goldberg tonight and he just wants Nash detaining. Hell of a marquee match. Yeah. We um, get to a scene backstage where the police are putting Nash into a squad car and Kevin Nash's eight-year-old nephew is there looking on uh, and we get uh, Russo mocking the nephew. It's always good to see adults taking the piss out of children. Well, with it being Russo, I'm surprised he wasn't bumping for him, for the eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah, trying, trying to get up uh, his, his match-winning statistics after that uh, big victory over Reed Flair that he's got. Imagine, imagine if Vince Russo had been around when Braun Strowman and Nicholas won the tag team titles. Oh, yeah, he'd have been straight in. Been going for it. <laughs> yeah, he would. Talking about title matches next, uh, the Mamelukes have to defend their tag team title, uh, sorry, their hardcore title, which they're holding together, although Big Vito won't let go of it, against Terry Funk. Uh, but Big Vito wants to be the man, so he, he locks Johnny the Bull in the dressing room. Yeah, nice, uh, nice little sort of story beat to this with, um, uh, you know, with the whole evolving thing with Vito. We, we've seen already in season one uh, roughly where some of this goes with Johnny the Bull and Terry Funk and, and what have you. So it is nice to see how they got there. And I actually really enjoyed this match. Um, like I said, it was good from a storyline standpoint um, with, you know, Vito's kind of going sort of power, not power mad, but, you know, sort of championship mad. And at the end of the match, when Vito wins, you get almost a, a passing of the torch from Terry Funk. Yeah, you do. But just before that, there was a brilliant spot that I loved. Um, Terry Funk traps Vito under the arena shutters. Uh, and then he gets a chair and he's like try, trying to hit him in the head with it while he's trapped, <laughs> like laying down under the shutters. And a security guard um, opens the door at the side and Terry Funk uh, waffles the security guard with the chair. <laughs> just again cementing our cementing our theory that Terry Funk is in fact the highlight of almost any show he's on. Oh, it was brilliant! Vito wins by pile driving front through a table on the apron. Uh, a higher, you know, callback to the uh, Ric Flair and Terry Funk match in the late eighties. 
And, uh, yeah, as you say, a, a groggy funk puts the belt on him and uh, gives him the put over, and then uh, Vito wipes him out with the belt. Yeah, it was um, it was a lovely callback to finish the match. A great sort of passing of the torch moment, and then just a really great sort of you bastard moment from Vito. You know, to say this is the hardcore title and it, you know it's, it's a tertiary title at best, then you know they really are putting some effort into this, isn't it? It's great to see. Yeah, it really is. Backstage, Vampiro talking to a hooded figure, and the hooded figure is telling Vampiro it's not over and he needs more souls. Yeah, and I genuinely didn't know any of this happened, so I'm completely in the dark. Although the voice did sound kind of familiar, I was just having trouble placing it. Uh, I, I didn't want to spoil it for myself because I couldn't remember, so I thought uh, I'll let this rerun, <laughs> refresh my memory. Some stuff sticks in the memory. We'll We'll find out, yeah, um, or maybe my uh, beer-addled brain will remember it at some random point when I'm supposed to be remembering something else. We see um, at the uh, police car uh, window, um, Kevin Nash is asking Scott Steiner to look after his nephew, Hunter. Yeah, because if there's anybody you want looking after your, looking after your young nephew, it's the, uh, it's the guy who spends most of his screen time talking about his penis. Yeah, and his freaks. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have freaks, you always have childcare, don't you? I mean, this is this is what Scott yeah. Steiner thinks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's Scott Steiner logic. I'm not, not going to unpack that one. <laughs> yeah. Shane Douglas is in the ring and is saying um, his la- the last month hasn't gone as planned, which it hasn't. I mean, Buff Bagwell's uh, being suspended for punching someone a hand backstage in in the throw and. Is saying um, uh, obviously he hasn't had the results that is wanted, uh, but now his partner's back. Buff Bagwell's music hits and big pop for both. People love to see both. In in certain states, yes, they do. Yeah, Buff Bagwell calls out Chronic, who he calls Colonic, because they're a pain in the ass. Apparently, I, I did laugh at that because because uh, bums. <laughs> so we get Buff Bagwell and um, Shane Douglas versus Chronic. Yeah, the, the crowd love Buff, basically. The, Douglas, match, the match itself was nothing to write home about, I thought. No, it, it wasn't at all. There was the hot tag to Buff, and Buff sort of cleans house, but then Douglas blind tags in um, and um, ends up getting a high time, so Buff could have quite easily won, but, yeah, Douglas fucks it up. Buff commiserates with Douglas, and then um, Douglas shoves him down. Buffs try gets up and tries to make him shake hands with him, and then Douglas attacks him again. Uh, and Douglas cuts a promo and said, uh, "Because of you, I got screwed over for the last thirty days. You just got franchised." Yeah, it's about right for Shane Douglas at this point for his character. It it kind of makes sense, and you know, it, it gives them an issue and gives them an excuse to keep using a, a good hand like Shane Douglas on TV. Why not? Uh, and I think it's always good when the heels at least have a bit of a point. And, you know, Buff, yeah. your life suspension, did screw over Shane Douglas's push. Mm. Yeah, they could have at least been in, you know, tag title feuds and whatever instead. Shane Douglas has been getting put through tables for a good few weeks. Yeah, and uh, having to uh, piss around with Norman and Ralphus, you know. <laughs> yeah. so. far, far cry from uh, from carrying gold, isn't it? Indeed it is, yeah. Lost the tag team titles and it's, uh, yeah. So soon shuffled down the card. 
Cat's wandering around backstage looking for Hogan, but Doug Dillinger hasn't seen him. Doug Dillinger's got the world's largest laptop, but that's probably just the year 2000. <laughs> and, that's a great one. I love that. Cat uh, says he's going to cut Doug Dillinger's um, donut allowance because he hasn't seen Hogan. <laughs> I didn't clock that, but yeah, quite funny. Kidman tells Mean Gene that he's going to be the special ref for the match tonight, um, Hogan versus Jarrett. Yeah, a bit of an odd, uh, bit of an odd wrinkle to the whole thing. Yeah, there, there's uh, an up followed by massive downs from me because we get a press conference with Paisley and the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea, who now only wants to be known as the artist. All good, good like that. Unfortunately, under the table, trying to upskirt Paisley is General Rection's granddad. Oh yeah, I'd forgotten that bit. Dear Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Not- uh, so it's a cru- next up. Uh, we end up getting a cruiserweight title match, Lieutenant Loco. Uh, with the Misfits in Action versus the Artist with Paisley. Uh, it starts because General Rection calls out the Artist for putting his hands on his granddad, you know, after he tried to get him away from upskirting Paisley. After he, after he was committing a sexual assault, basically. <laughs> yeah, Paisley negotiates this into a um, Cruiserweight Championship match. It happened. Loco wins with a tornado DDT. And the Freak Star General tries to give Paisley mouth to mouth, who's passed out at the ringside. So, yeah. Mm. It was all a bit shit. Yeah, it, it was all about everything involving Hugh Morris's granddaddy's shit. Pretty much. It's yeah. just, it, it was crap even back then, and it's even worse now. Yeah, it has not aged well. Just, just like Hugh, <laughs> Hugh Morris's granddad. <laughs> <laughs> Who is more than likely dead at this point. Yeah. Russo's backstage is uh, arranged for waitress service for Goldberg all night. He's telling them how demanding he is and how they've got to uh, meet his requirements. And uh, then he goes and tells Goldberg he's got him waitress service and Goldberg tells the waitresses to fuck off. A little bit of a disconnect there between uh, what what Russo wants and what Goldberg wants, but that's to be expected, really. Or what Russo thinks Goldberg wants, I guess. Well, yeah. Yeah, Cat uh, tells Hogan he's got a title match tonight, and Hogan calls Cat Catmandu. Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. I, I didn't understand that, and it was even worse when they replayed it on Thunder. They're trying to get this over. It's yeah. I don't. Know. I'm not. I'm not even touching that. It. It was weird. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, even you would have to admit that Jarrett guitar shot in Hogan to. Uh, Move us away from that Katmandu comment was probably a good thing. Camera, the camera pans, and we see Horace has been knocked unconscious with new blood sprayed on him. I missed that bit. Yeah, in my notes, I've put hopefully Horace has now gone back to his own planet. (laughs) It's gone back to the paddock. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, next up, Russo and David Flair are out. Uh, Russo says um, that David made him proud at Great American Bash. And then Ric Flair comes out. Um, Ric Flair says, um, last night your wife looked at you and said uh, you ain't Space Mountain. And uh, he tells David to go home. He says, uh, Russo, um, if I beat you tonight, you retire. I uh, replace you, I get my son, and uh, we shave your head and ass. So an advert for Manscaped in 2000 WCW. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of Space Mountain comments traded back and forth, and it was all very much 
Uh, it was very much just dick swinging, this whole thing. Yeah. It felt unnecessary. Russo agrees to a handicap match, um, himself and David Flair versus Ric Flair. Uh, Ric Flair's career is on the line against the big long list that Ric Flair's put out. Ric Flair says he's going to go and get Reed to be in his corner, so he, he is the great equaliser. <laughs> the enforcer, Reed Flair. The 12-year-old yeah. enforcer. Well, he's, he's done a good job in this story. Like, he's been the most convincing out of the three or four of them. <laughs> this is very true, yeah. Next up, it's a WCW World Title match. Special guest referee Billy Kidman with Jeff Jarrett versus Hollywood Hogan. Uh, a classic yeah. Hogan match is whipping him with the weight belt, is choking him with the weight belt. Jarrett goes to hit Hogan with the chair. Kidman stops him and then throws the chair to Hogan, who attacks him. Goldberg's out and breaks up the three count. Kidman ends up trying to block Goldberg from um, spearing Hogan. So Goldberg spears Kidman and then he spears Hogan. Russo gets the table and Goldberg jack hammers Hogan through the table. Which we like to see. We did like to see that. They spray a new bod on Hogan. G.I. Bro runs down for the save. Yeah, a bit of prominence for, uh, for G.I. Bro, which, was, which I honestly didn't think could happen, but... Yeah. Obviously, we know Booker T ends up as champion at some point, so. Yeah, so who knows? Um, also, why on earth is Kidman helping Hogan after everything that's happened? But guess we'll find out later. Next up, DDP is out and he's got a lemon. Oh, God, this was just fucking tedious. Yeah, he just talks about his relationship with Kimberly and um, he talks about. Yeah, he's um, at Canyon and saying he taught him everything that Dusty Rhodes and Jake Roberts taught him. And he's saying maybe he's the problem. And uh, he walks away through the crowd. Uh, and then um, we see Bischoff's angry. But yeah, as commentary is speculating if the DDP's walk, walked out of the sport. But at least in part, DDP is the problem. Well, yeah, I mean, That's he's been the a dick. storyline. <laughs> yeah, well, he has been a dick. He's been a dick. So, you know, he is the problem. Tony Siobhan is uh, then um, talking about Sting going to the burn unit last night and saying we won't see him for a while, which I, I thought was quite good because often when they do silly um, angles on pay-per-views, people are there the next night. You know, Rey Mysterio with his eye for an eye match. You know, he should have been in reconstructive surgery. Uh, Vampiro comes out and he says he doesn't have any remorse and uh, the nightmare is just beginning. Vampiro says he knows he's going to hell and that's very cool with him. And he said, who's got the balls to uh, come with me? And then... And we get goes? <laughs> God of Thunder hits. The casket raises. Yes. The kiss demon's back. I know a lot of people shit on the kiss demon. And I know he's been booked very poorly, you know, especially under Kevin Sullivan and stuff. And we've discussed this on previous episodes. But still, the pomp and circumstance of God of Thunder and the casket raising... It's great stuff. The, the whole demon entrance, like you say, the the, the the lighting, the sarcophagus, everything like that, it's it's brilliant. Or it should have been brilliant. But I still like it. You're absolutely spot on. The demon's got his own torch and he blows fire. Always impressive to see. Shades yeah, of Ricky the Dragon steamboat. Yeah, decent start. 
The uh, Vampiro drags the demon up the stage and Vampiro climbs the nitro vision. Um, the pyro's going off and he does an axe handle from just above the entrance where uh, the match is uh, a double count out, but a lot of spectacle around it. And, you know, we know this is going to lead to more between the two of them. So I'm happy to see that. Yeah, same. It was. Um, it, it definitely goes somewhere. Uh, where it goes isn't necessarily great in terms of... Um, uh, in terms of WCW's finances, but it definitely goes somewhere. Yeah. So uh, next up, we see Scott Steiner asking Shakira to look after Nash's eight-year-old nephew, Hunter. Yeah, fair enough. I bet you know. But he looks back on that now and thinks it's it's absolutely amazing. You know, he was on TV and and all that. But it, it it's still kind of bizarre. I, I thought you were saying okay, because of what happened later in the night, Scott Steiner looks back and wished he'd asked Medeja to look after on that. <laughs> no, because I can't remember what happens later in the night. Uh, so next up, we see uh, Russo being worried about having his head shaved. The next segment, DDP's music hits, but it's Kimberly and Canyon. Kimberly's uh, got a... Positively Canyon, yeah. Kimball is saying that she's um, brought got her own perfume, Positively Me, uh, at a mere $395 a bottle. Because that sounds like a scam. It's $395 to make sure that most of you people can't afford it. And Scott Hudson says that's brilliant marketing. <laughs> it seems like an odd business strategy to me. But fair yeah. enough. Canyon's got his autobiography out now, Positively Canyon, co-written by Mark Smokey Madden. Yeah, that, yeah, I imagine it was written in crayon. Yeah, and he says that he'll be signing copies of the book at the New Jersey Port Authority. That did actually make me laugh. I don't know why, it's just, you, know, you hear all these random things spewed out and, yeah, it, it kind of fits. Yeah, he was just taking the piss of everywhere that DDP said he was signing the book, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and um, Canyon said that all the people believed that he'd actually had a spinal injury. So that just proves that the fix was in at Slamboree. Yeah, dear me. What, what, what complicated lives they lead. You know, <laughs> he's, he's literally he's sat, he's sat in a hospital for weeks pretending to be injured. He was only having to He was like, you know, I need warning when you're coming round. <laughs> Give me 10 minutes notice so I can get my halo. Yeah, I can get to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Canyon uh, offers up an open challenge and Scott Steiner's music hits. Matt Madden says uh, that I wrote the book with him, but he's on his own now. Yeah, I quite like that from Madden. He, he carries that on later on, doesn't he, as well, as we'll see. But yeah. it's, uh, you know, Madden, Madden being a coward makes narrative sense and, and he, he does it fairly well. Uh, Scott, Scott Hudson shouts out, he's beating up your co-author. <laughs> I like that. Scott Hudson's <laughs> just an absolute joy. And, and Madden goes, that's absolutely fine with me. I'll write a book with him if he wants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, he's such a prick, is Madden. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's brilliant. Um, Cameron Diamond Cutters, um, Charles Robinson. And uh, Scott Steiner goes for the recliner, but Awesome's in for the serve to Canyon, and then Chronic Attack, Canyon and Awesome. So it's all over the place. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, Canyon runs away through the crowd. Miss Hancock's out, she's stopping Kimberly from getting away, picks up Kimberly, 
and um, Kimberly makes Macy's Hancock with a perfume, and then she smashes her glasses. Or tries to. She stomps on them and they stayed perfectly intact. Well, that 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 would be some production, that isn't it? You know, <laughs> what's the? You know? <laughs> I don't think they even had lenses in them. <laughs> they were work, worked glasses, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we get a side-by-side shot of Ric Flair uh, giving a pep talk to Reed Flair and Vince Russo giving a pep talk to David Flair. Reed looks the toughest. Yeah, next up, Scott Steiner's uh, being interviewed by Pamela Paulshock. Um, he's calling out Russo and Bischoff and... Uh, she asks Shakira uh, where Hunter is, and Shakira realises she's lost him. <laughs> Who would have thought that one of Scott Steiner's freaks would be an irresponsible caregiver? Now, that's completely unfair. We don't know what a job Madeja would have done. Well, this is true. She may have actually done a very good job and kept the, kept the kids safe. Yeah. Uh, so, next up, it's Vince Russo and David Flair versus Ric Flair. Uh, we've got uh, Beth, Megan, and Ashley in the crowd. Reed's obviously with Rick. Uh, Rick starts the match uh, chopping Russo, uh, but Russo sort of hulks up, and uh, it's not before long we realise that uh, Russo's got a stab vest on. Um, that made me laugh. It's like he'd gone for a night out with Scottish Danny. <laughs> what, what, what's he called? The, uh... the, the, the Canning Town Stabber. The Canning Town, I was going to say Kensington Stabber, but I didn't think that sounded right. <laughs> Just for legal purposes, to our knowledge, Danny has never and will never stab anybody. He's a very nice boy, he just lives in a rough area. But it, but if he did stab anyone, it would be in Canning Town, not Kensington. This is true. This is true. Ric Flair puts a figure four on David, and uh, Russo attacks Rick with the bat. Uh, reads in for the save, massive pop. David restrains Reed. Uh, Russo's um, telling um, him to get out of the ring. Our and B security are there. It's uh, it's all a big uh, mess. Uh, Russo is um, shouting at uh, Beth Flair. Uh, he offers her a Statue of Liberty and tells her to finish Rick. But uh, yeah, that was a bit weird. That, but fair enough. Well, I don't know because they were sort of saying about you know Rick and his career and stuff. I, I don't know if it was kind of you know. He's putting himself through too much. You know, it's almost for the greater good sort of thing. Um, he says that it's too late, grabs it off her and uh, hits Flair with it himself. Ashley's in the ring, but R&B security stop her. David's got the figure far, uh, figure far on Rick. And Megan throws the towel in. Yeah, I'd forgotten about this finish. It was, um, it was a complete clusterfuck. <laughs> it, it absolutely was, but it, in theory... It's very complicated. That's a career for Ric Flair. Yeah, I mean, we know it's not, but yeah, it's a very big moment in uh, in this whole thing. And of course, I believe that makes Russo 3-0 against Ric Flair. 3-0, and and then he goes and shaves uh, Ric Flair's head and then Reed Flair's head, which will lead to Russo getting a T-shirt saying 3-0 and and two shaved heads. Dear me. It's it's over-egging the pudding in one of the best ways because you just see that. It's like, yeah, you beat Ric Flair three times, but they're all dubious, and it just makes you hate him even more. I know that's what it's meant to do, and it sounds redundant saying it, but it really did work. Oh, it did. You know, it, it sounds it sounds silly, but, yeah, the, the crowd were extremely hot about 
about this that they'd pulled all, all the right threads to make them really angry and invested in the storyline. I put wow in my notes. It, it felt felt big. It did, yeah, and um, yeah, just got got to give them credit. It's it sounds ridiculous on paper. It it really did work, and the the one thing that just sort of pushed it slightly over the edge of ridiculous for me was um, how much commentary were really overselling how much Ric Flair's hair meant to him as a trademark. Is that always, always like a signature? They always do that in wrestling, though, don't they? It's like you cannot possibly grow this hair back. <laughs> well, yes. I suppose without that, you don't get any Lucha de Apuestas matches, do you? No, it, it, it's a bit weird, but it is a wrestling trope. I guess the other thing with Ric Flair, and you'd have to be like a dirt sheet person to know this, but a lot of Russo's booking did at least have a, a wink to people who were reading the dirt sheets in that when Flair had originally gone to WWF, one of the reasons it had left is that um, Bill Watts had been one, wasn't no, it was, I think it was Jim Hurd who was wanting him to um, shave his head and uh, become a Roman gladiator. Yes, was this the Spartacus thing? Yeah, yeah. So... I wonder if there's a bit of a wink and a nod to that. Potentially, but like you said, you know, the shaving of the head is an old trope in wrestling. Um, and I think it's more that Rick didn't want to do it just to do it. He, he'll do it if it makes narrative sense. I think Rick was also desperate to get David over and have him have a yeah. career. And because, in all fairness, and this has been through... Kevin Nash, Kevin Sullivan, Russo and uh, Ferrara, Russo and Bischoff, yeah, any combination of the bookers that have been in while David Flair's been about, David has been getting pushed to very prominent sp spots through all that time uh, and probably as a favour to Rick. Mm. Yeah, he's never not on TV. No, no. I was going to say, but to be fair, the best thing that came out of pushing David Flair was that we got Daphne and Crowbar. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, Daphne's been an absolute delight yeah, in these storylines. Next up, we see Nash getting let out of the police car, so it must be time for Nash versus Goldberg. Uh, Gold <laughs> Goldberg's out with the new blood. We've got Filthy Animal, Stasiak, Palumbo, Johnny the Bull, and Shane Douglas. Great. Yeah, nice little callback on commentary. Scott Hudson says um, Kevin Nash and a taser ended Goldberg's run at Starcade '98. Yeah, I did like that. There is um, they did make a good, a good deal of um, of Nash and Goldberg's history, which is again mark of good commentary and good writing. You've got to do that. Bring it back. Give it even more gravitas. Yeah, uh, we get plenty of um, shenanigans um, in the match. Goldberg starts out on top. New Blood's in attacking Nash, but Nash fights them off. Um, Goldberg uh, waffles Nash with a chair. Uh, Hunter's out, and he's on the apron, uh, and Vince Russo grabs him and then makes him watch uh, Goldberg beating up Nash. Uh, Scott Steiner's out. He's trying to fight his way to the ring. Uh, but the police are beating him down with truncheons and uh, they handcuff him. And again, all, all too often in wrestling, when they have police angles, it doesn't look real. It, it mm. did when Scott Steiner was trying to make his way down. 
know, even even the way Stan fought them, you know, he was just swinging for the fences with everything. He was giving it his all, and it looked like a struggle to get through. And they looked like they were struggling to cuff him. Yeah, yeah, it it was done so well. But they were also wearing, to my what to my eye, a proper uh, cop uniform. Yes. and that'll add to it because so many times you see cops on wrestling TV and they look like exactly what they are, which is trainees in, you know, wearing generic black, vaguely security esque looking gear. Yes. If you're going to do this, it needs to look right, it, it, even down to the fine details. Because people pick up on that, like, you know, even looking back now, me, me and you, we, we've watched so much wrestling between us. And yet this is one of the better police spots in wrestling. Yeah. It just is. Because of those details. Yeah, I think they've been really good with some of the stuff they've done, especially like, you know, them using Mace, etc. when, you know, you don't get that. But you would get that if they were actual police. You know, they wouldn't just piss around. So, but yeah, uh, I enjoyed that. Any other context, he may have been shot. But that's another conversation for another podcast. Well, yeah. Hunter's in the ring checking on Nash. Uh, Goldberg and Russo are celebrating. Uh, End of the show. Uh, I put wow in my notes um, for the finish of the show. A pretty awesome show. Uh, Obviously, we have the major detraction of um, Hugh Morris's granddad. Uh, Yeah, that's the big down point. Yeah, that's the um, shit in the uh, punch ball, isn't it? Yeah, it very much is. But when you're coming off such a great build to to the Great American Bash, to keep even a fraction of that momentum going would would be enough for most shows. But this keeps a, a very good amount of it going. Yeah. So credit credit to it. It was entertaining. It was a lot of fun. It furthered it furthered all the stories that it needed to. We've got a couple that have sort of just are in their infancy. Yeah, bring on, bring it on, bring on the next uh, the next show, bring on Thunder. Well, exactly. This has just been the pre-show for the Thunder on the 14th of June, which is a tank episode. So it's all all been building to that. We get the people's uh, main event. <laughs> the people's main event, exactly. So at the start of the show, Limo pulls up and Kat Russo, David, Jarrett and R&B security get out. Russo's asking uh, where the hell Bischoff and Goldberg are and apparently they're on the way, but the cops aren't coming because they can't can't be bothered with uh, all the shenanigans that are happening, which which, to be fair, I mean... Sorry, I I like that. So basically they're saying that when WCW's in town... Russo and Bischoff have been taking the piss and playing games so much that police departments throughout the country now are just saying, you know what? Fuck you. You're pissing about. You're on your own. Sort your own shit out. Unless it actually genuinely becomes criminal, we're not going to be your security guards. Yeah, and it makes sense. And I guess that is what would actually happen if somebody became too much of a problem. Yeah, because they're just wasting police time at this point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they might even get arrested themselves. Maybe that's where the story is going. Uh, Nash is seen arriving after them. Uh, we get the intro, and then it's the standard um, start of a uh, 
uh, Nitro or Thunder at this point. Pyro, camera scanning the crowd. Crowd really hot. Looked great. Yeah, it did. Um, I like that we've set up the stall early as well because Kevin Nash sort of stalking or tailing Russo and the cat is is very much the theme of the episode. It's um, I very nearly called it cat and mouse, but I think I'd hate myself if I did that. Um, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's a running through theme throughout the show. It's a little bit comedy at times, but I um, I really enjoyed that aspect, and I'm glad it, it, it kicked it off and, and ran all the way through. No, it was good. It definitely was. Then get commentary, which is Mike Tenet, Tony Schiavone and Mark Madden discussing what's happened at Great American Bash and on Nitro. Mike Tenet says that uh, Ric Flair and Hogan um, fell victim to the new blood on Nitro. And uh, Mark Madden saying Kevin Nash is the best. Maybe um, the only hope of stopping um, Goldberg. Yeah, nice little recap sets the stall out. Perfectly. If you're just tuning into this for the first time in a little while, you're already up to speed. Can't fault it. Yeah. Uh, so next up, we get Russo out with Cat and R&B security, David and Jarrett getting massive booze. Russo's got his 3 and 0 t-shirt on. David's got a lock of Ric Flair's hair on a chain. It looked like he decapitated a troll doll. It did, it really did. It's like, why is, why does it look like that? That's really weird. I don't, I don't know how you manage that. It, it was like he nicked a quiff. That's probably what he did. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't look like real hair, put it that way. It looked fake even from a distance. Yeah, well, maybe Ric Flair's hair was fake. Maybe that's what they're trying to tell us. Who knows? That's um, the dream. Dan Jarrett says he's going to take a chunk out of Kidman's ass for helping Hogan, but Hogan's going to get his title shot at, great, at Bash at the Beach. Uh, I'm never going to get used to this next pay-per-view not being Great American Bash. The Great American Bash at the Beach. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, Does that it's like Wrestling Revenge or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole taking a chunk out of his ass thing is kind of weird. It's, you know, I mean, you know, if, if he's going to give a pound of flesh from somewhere, maybe his buttocks are a viable option, but who knows? It's, uh, it, it, it's an odd turn of phrase. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, Russo saying, last night, me and my son stuck it to um, every one of you and um, stuck it where the sun doesn't shine. Um, Ric Flair is done. We shaved his head clean. And then we get highlights of it. Which means he can never be seen in public again. No, the embarrassment. Well, I mean, just... To, just- so I was going to say, just to jump back for a second, um, the, the, even in Jarrett's promo, they the made sure to tell us that Hogan will still get his title shot at Bash at the Beach. Despite yeah. his Nitro, I'm sure at one point they said it was it was a trade-off. Yeah, they did. Uh, you know, I guess Hogan's played his um, creative control card there, hasn't he? Because in theory, yeah, you wouldn't want Hogan to be burning through his pay-per-views so quickly. True. Because... Uh, I don't know. It's it's just a bit odd. It, it, it's a, it's that sort of disjointed thinking coming in, maybe or or maybe someone misspoke. You never know. But uh, am I being too generous? Or am I just? Well, I mean, I don't know. we've still got quite a while for them to retcon or change direction from that, or him, him lose his title shot in some way or another. Um, True. Between now and then, we know it doesn't happen because we we know very famously he he is a great American uh, bash at the beach. But yeah. Great American Bash at the Beach. The beach yeah, that, that's what it is from now on. 
we get highlights of Goldberg beating up Nash in front of Hunter. And then Vince Russo says he's decided to bring back Ric Flair. There's a big pop, and he says, here he is, and holds up a Mr. Potato Head. Sorry about that. I was just having beer issues. I, I popped that um, that chip hazard, and it's uh, it's been a bit lively. But I've, I've got everything under control. Russo says, what kind of a man would stoop so low? I'm, I'm presuming he means what kind of man would stoop so low as to be bald? Scott Hudson at ringside. Uh, big Vito. Um, Goldberg. Yeah. His, his new best mate, Goldberg. Uh, Nash, uh, over, the common, over the speaker, says, a dead man. And um, then uh, the Wolfpack music hits. And uh, Kevin Nash says, your ass is mine tonight. And, Here's uh, more ass talk. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he says he's still in the rocks line about um, turning his uh, foot sideways, shining up real nice, and uh, and then he says, but since he broke his foot, he can't turn it sideways. <laughs> I quite like that line, to be fair. Since I broke my ankle, I can't turn it sideways, so I'm going to use the baseball bat instead. I did see earlier on Twitter somebody uh, calling out Kevin Nash because uh, he'd been saying about how injury-prone CM Punk was. <laughs> it's like pot and kettle. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit in it, but, you know, Nash, as, as, as a mutual friend of ours pointed out, um, you know, Nash didn't take seven years out. No. No, he, he didn't, and... I don't think it's debatable that Nash had a bigger impact on the business. So it's not it, it, for, for, for better, both for better and for worse at times in his career. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. Now CM Punk's uh, taking a lot of the goodwill out of AEW. I mean, if we can say that Kevin Nash killed WCW and CM Punk killed AEW, <laughs> maybe that's where he's going uh, for. It, 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 I don't know. In, in relative terms, it's. Um, Nash had a much bigger impact in WCW, I think. Yeah, but as you say, but because of, of, of just how far it fell. Um, yeah, you know, AEW, you know, obviously we're talking different eras, and, and wrestling was much more popular mainstream back in uh, back in that era. But I don't see Punk leaving AEW as a massive negative. I don't think it'll affect the view. Anything like that to to unduly? No, it just feels that it, it because of the timing of it and there being a bit of goodwill in WWE because of Vince McMahon going. It feels that the narrative kind of changed from AEW getting the more favourable reports and people willing to give it a chance rather than just straight away criticise it. It feels that that momentum shifted to WWE and people are seeing that more favourably. And it feels, uh, and you know, it's death by a thousand cuts. There's loads of little things that have come along the way, but obviously this is a very pivotal one at the wrong moment for them. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. It's sort of, obviously, we'll move away from AEW quite quickly because, you know, this is, we're looking at WCW Thunder. But um, it comes to something when even uh, even Meltzer's questioning Tony Khan about, about certain things. To, to be fair, we're talking about a show on TBS that a lot of people watched, so this is nothing to do with AEW. <laughs> you, oh, you bitch. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> well done. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. 
So uh, Nash is out with R&B security. Um, no, sorry, I do beg your pardon. Nash takes out R&B security with a baseball bat, and uh, then he um, takes out David. Uh, the, karat, the cat does a karate kid pose, and in my notes, bonk. Did you just call him the karat? Yeah, it, well, he's a karate cat. He's a karat. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah that bat shot was brilliant, because cat's doing the whole... You know, karate poses, and he gives it the karate kid. You know, uh, what is it, the crane pose for the kick, and he just yeah. eats shit completely as Russo and Jarrett are escaping through the crowd. And and what I like about this, I think I'm pretty certain there was a break here, and the cut back and the backstage, and Russo's there trying to calm everyone down, and they yeah. all just abandon him because they know that Nash is after Russo, and the rest of them can get away scot free. It's just it, literally no honor among thieves. Uh, and then in the background, you hear Nash's voice, Vince. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love that kind of thing as well. And it it gets a little bit sillier later on as, as we'll get to, you know, hiding behind plants and shit like that for Nash. And, but I quite, I quite like the kind of, it's almost Scooby-Doo aspect of it. Yeah, it is. That felt really Kevin Nash booking. Remember that episode we um, covered where, Nash were in fact it wasn't it was um Sullivan Taylor and Ferrara when they did the whole Nash has concussion and thinks he's commissioner to garden storyline yeah I, I, I can see where you're coming from with that difference is this is good yeah yeah that's <laughs> fair, fair, fair play um, <laughs> I, I, I'll refrain from referencing Terry Taylor booking any further so because I, I have to add fuck Terry Taylor Fuck Terry Taylor. We get highlights of Chronic versus the Mamelukes, where Vito's just obsessed with his belt. Chronic are out, and uh, Brian Adams is demanding that the paper champions, so I'm presuming he's meaning uh, Palumbo and Stasiak, come out. But instead, Chris Candido's music hits. Yeah, and he, he cuts this really odd promo about people in WCW being all want, 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 and, and, and kind of criticising for them for it. And then he goes, but I have wants too, so he called a Jersey friend to come and help him out. It's like, we just criticise people for being all want, 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 but now you're getting in on the act. I can't believe how far Chris Candido's fallen. The last time we saw him, he was in the greatest match of all time, and now yeah, no. he's doing this. And it's very much not the greatest match of all time. No. I was going to say, for for the listeners, go back in the archives and check out our review of Chris Candido versus Terry Funk versus a horse. Just just go back and watch Chris Candido versus Terry Funk for the hardcore title and the MVP of the match is a horse. Yeah, quite literally. Yeah. And not horse Hogan. No, an actual horse. As you say, Bam Bam Bigelow comes out, his former partner in Triple Threat in ECW with Shane Douglas. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I, I, I clocked that on commentary as well that they alluded to. And it, it took me a minute because, you know, obviously I've not watched a lot of ECW, but I remember, roughly remember that they were, uh, were a faction. But this was, it was quite a disjointed match, it felt. But you know, when you watch wrestling and, and certain people obviously have great chemistry, it just felt like nobody in this match had decent chemistry to me. 
I don't know if that's fair or not. Like, it's just a feeling about watching it. Yeah. And no, I know Jack. I know Jack shit about you know what it takes to work together in ring, but yeah. So, so there were several problems with this. Um, no one really had that much chemistry. No one in the crowd gave a fuck that Bam Bam was back. I mean, it, it was the piss break. People were streaming out. Yeah. Uh, Slick Johnson was channeling Aubrey Edwards and Bryce Remsburg and misdowing all the moves. I didn't I, it. It's the thing about Slick Johnson is I think he does it, but I think the camera work in WCW often cuts away and s- stops you from seeing his shit. So right. while ever I would be annoyed with him, I don't often see it because I think the camera work covers up for his antics. Fair enough. Um, I, I do have one good thing to say about this match. It was shot. Yeah. It didn't, I was still it's welcome. <laughs> is, that, is, that your, is that your good thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's, like, it's, like, it's like that um, Mitchell and Webb thing, isn't it? You know, a, a match that is already being described as on this weekend. Yeah. But yeah, that was really, it, it was almost sad that nobody cared about Bam Bam. But, you know, his heyday at this point was five to seven years ago. Yeah. When he was really, really popular in, you know, in WWE and then later in, in ECW. Yeah. It was, just, it was just, I don't know, it, it feels harsh to say, to say past it, but it's obvious nobody really gave a shit. I mean, it's so bad that when he when he returned, and you know, we've been going through these episodes with a fine tooth comb. I was like, has he been away? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but one thing I noticed as well, completely separate to Bam Bam, uh, they've changed the spelling of chronic. It's got a C at the end now. Not okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, maybe maybe that's cheaper. Maybe they're uh, you know, cutting down the Scrabble letter cost. Well, they've, uh, what they've done is they've changed it from a capital K at the end to uh, to a lowercase C, so they're uh, they're saving uh, a fraction on uh, on printer ink when they uh, when they run stuff out. Yeah, and the, the one saving grace—it's not even a saving grace—the the one minor up on this match for me was that Bam Bam didn't tag in in the match, and then afterwards he he sort of fighting Chronic on his own and, and kind of holding his own. And then security come and separate them. And it, it did make Bam Bam look a little bit better for the fact that he could go toe-to-toe with Chronic. Yeah, it was obvious that Candido was the one that, that was sort of the liability and didn't belong in terms of size and strength and, and, and fight and all that. It was just odd to bring a guy like Bam Bam back and then not have... You know, not give him any momentum. Essentially, yeah. Yes, he looked kind of strong, but he's still he's still on the losing side, and he didn't dominate Chronic on his own. He 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 barely survived. No, for, for a number of reasons, this was a, a weird weird segment. Well, it, it is. It was a bit shit. Yeah, yeah. When the Slick Johnson was a lot shit. So next up, we see uh, Russo backstage. He, he's panicking. He's running around, and uh, then he realizes he could just go home. So he runs to the limo, but Kevin Nash has uh, slashed the tires and uh, kicked out the windows. Smart guy. If this was WWE, Brooklyn Bar would be taking it back to the rental company, going, "I don't know what happened." 
Yeah, sparks flying, rims scraping the pavement. <laughs> <laughs> I did like it though, getting some a little touch, you know. People have, if if this wasn't there, people would just be saying, Oh well he could have just got in his limo and gone home. No, but the thought of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it is so next up the Mamelukes are out and um yeah. get highlights of friend of the show, Big Vito, pile driving Terry Funk through the table. And um, Big Vito's wearing the hardcore title, and Vito says, Monday night, I became a made man. So I don't know if Flair made him buy a round of drinks again. And uh, he says, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a fighting champion. And Johnny the Bull says, um, why do you deserve to be champion? Uh, and he's like, well, I took out Terry Funk. And actually, that that is a really good reason, because Terry Funk has been the king of the hardcore division in, in recent months. Valid question. I, I thought of you when uh, Johnny the Bull said this next line, Dan. He said, I was dropping bombs in the locker room and you locked me in. <laughs> yeah, I thought I made a shit joke as well. <laughs> why, why did you miss your match, Dan? I had to poo. <laughs> <laughs> why aren't you hardcore? You can just imagine it. If the Mamelukes wedding happened now or, you know, a, a reunion of all those people that were there and we had Big Vito's grandma and everyone who was there. <laughs> Uh, asking Johnny the Bull why, why he wasn't hardcore champion. Having a shit. Wow. <laughs> where's Johnny? The, where's Johnny the Bull? Where's he, Where's Johnny Stamboli? Where is he? Uh, just just listen out. You'll hear him. <laughs> but oh Vito agrees that she'll be sharing the belt. Vito gives Johnny the Bull the belt. He puts it round his waist and he leaves the ring and is there telling this crowd to cheer him. Which got a load of booze. It did. It did. And as Johnny the Bull's trying to leave the ring, he bends down and uh, uh, Vito hits him with a big stick. And yeah, uh, I'll tell you what, right? Vito chose the, uh, the, chose the perfect moment to hit him with a kendo stick. Because as he's going through the ropes, that is literally when he's most vulnerable. Yeah. Bent double, going one leg through the ropes. Just, again, a little detail, but adds so much to it. Thinking man's wrestler, Big Vito. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. He drags him in, and he's got a stick ball stick. Um, So uh, it hits Johnny the Bull with that over the back, and uh, it breaks in two. And then he does a jumping DDT from the apron through a table with Johnny the Ball. I thought that looked. I thought both of that, both of those things looked brilliant. When you see the, it was a stick ball stick, but I thought it was like a walking stick or whatever. When when that breaks over the back, it looks brilliant. The the jumping. I don't know. Why, was was it only when Edge did it that it was called the Impaler DDT? Yes. Yeah. I mean. It looks a little bit like that when, depending on how he does it. Um, it can look like that when Moxley does his, you know, double underhook DDT or, yeah, or I was what. Yeah, going to say, Moxley, Moxley goes more double underhook, though, whereas for the Impaler DDT or, or the, the jumping DDT that, that, v, that Vito does, it's just head under arm, lifted by the waistband and straight through. Yeah. yeah I, I, I take your point, but I, th- I thought this looked fantastic, and all I've got in my notes is the Mega Mamelukes explode. Such a shame. Such a shame. Well, I know what we're building to. I'm sure we've covered on one of these on on a, on a past episode that Vito versus Johnny the Bull have a pretty good hardcore match. Yes, yes, they do. Yeah. So 
Uh, we're, we're up there, and then Vito's going to have his solo run as well. So, and yeah. Big Vito's sister's going to come back randomly. Yes, yes, she is. Yeah. Oh dear me. Yes. God. The 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 answer to a storyline that uh, sorry the finish to a storyline that nobody wanted. <laughs> um, the Wolfpack music hits and Nash is out with a bat. Um, Vito runs at him, and in my notes, bong. Yeah, but think, again, thing is with this. Vito ducks it and Nash just turns around and just swats him in the back of the head. Yeah. So people, you know, the more nitpicky among us would say, oh, well, Vito's eating so much punishment from the likes of Funk and whatever in these hardcore matches. How does this one shot from Nash, like, render him unconscious? One, Nash is a legit seven foot tall. Yeah. He's a very powerful human. But also he catches him... Just he catches him completely unaware in the back of the head, and that would knock anyone out. Well, that that's it. Giving this all too much credit. No, no, I think that's right. I think that's right, and I think you should have those things in wrestling. And I think putting too much emphasis on doing moves over and over again, and it taking Herculean efforts to beat people, doesn't always do that much good because it takes people out of it. That this is relatable. Yeah, it's a baseball bat to the back of the head. You're going out. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why on earth would you prostitute that? Essentially, yeah. you know. But... Whereas when you're when you're in hardcore matches or death matches, you know you're in for a significant amount of pain, and you are you prep for it. You know, just thinking logically, you are mentally, possibly physically, prepped for it slash used to it, depending on how many you've done. Yeah. So you know, you know you going to have glass in you you know you're going to you know take shots from whatever so you're constantly braced and, and watching for the next thing and that's where that's where a lot of people who don't get sort of get deathmatch wrestling sort of fall at the first hurdle you've got to think that going into this match they're prepared for hell yeah which means you're going to be able to endure more than than most people or, you know more than usual a bat to the back of the but, head you're never prepared for. <laughs> but to be fair, you don't get that many unprotected shots to the back of the head in deathmatch, you know. And some Very of the true. stuff is some of the stuff might be painful, but not something that would knock you out. So like, you know, getting a light tube smashed over you or, or whatever might be intensely painful, but it's not necessarily going to reduce your ability to kick out of a three count. Very true. Thank you for enabling my uh, my bias towards liking death matches. <laughs> <laughs> well, make the most of those light tubes because um, they're not going to sell them for much longer. So I keep I keep seeing screenshots of them on the Facebook Marketplace, uh, <laughs> tagged to various death match promotions. Like buy them while you can; they're selling them for a dollar a tube or whatever. Uh, Nash uh, gets on the microphone. He says, "Russo, just wanted to let you know I'm still looking for you." Uh, and we see backstage Russo's watching on the monitor, uh, and Russo says he look he, he wants to kill me. And Tony Schiavone says, "Yes, he does." But bollocks to Kevin Nash because he disrespected the hardcore title by just throwing it out the ring. And it is a beautiful belt that WCW hardcore title as well. It's a it's a, it's a fucking gorgeous belt. But anyway, uh, next up. We see some security camera footage. Um, David Flair and Miss Hancock looking very close to each other um, backstage. Uh, Mark Madden says, I don't see David's fiance Daphne in the picture, which means she's out of the picture. 
Thank you, Captain Obvious. I understand there's a button to that and a, and a hidden, sort of a not-so-well-hidden meaning, but still. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get highlights of Shane Douglas attacking Buff Bagwell. Um, Douglas is out and he says, 30 days ago we had a lot of contracts. Uh, you decided to play a tough guy in the back and left the franchise high and dry. Uh, and he goes on to say that he was the one that made Buff. Uh, I don't think we can really say that the franchise's reign with Buff is the one that made Buff, but, I mean, they were tag team no, champions. I was going to say, what made Buff was that he was rookie of the year for seven straight years. <laughs> He's not that old, is he? Because <laughs> like, no. he was so WCW. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, it was an odd one, but yeah, this is you kind of you always roughly know what you're going to get with the Shane Douglas promo. It, it, it's going to be decent. He'll get his point across, but I still don't think much to his catchphrase of "You just got your ass franchise uh, franchised." Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It just doesn't quite hit hit the ear right. Um, but you know, we get Buff hits the ring. He's taken out franchise with clotheslines and punches. Um, Candido and Bigelow are out to take out Buff and then Chronic are out so you know they're, they're carrying on the, uh, the the shit from before which I always like because you know Chronic aren't letting it go and you know it leads it potentially leads on to something on the next Nitro yeah and in my notes uh, the triple flat fly well because they all just seem to get thrown out of the ring they uh, <laughs> all get launched and also Buff is over no matter what he does Buff is just always ridiculously over in WCW. Yeah, he is. He really is. You can't deny that. And that just helps everybody by association. Next up, we do see Tank, uh, because uh, Tank and Rick are arriving on motorbikes. And we see Stasiak and Palumbo watching them on TV. Sean Stasiak is doing a Tank impression. Hey, Rick, when we're done beating up everyone tonight, let's go to a local bar and order up some cocktails. We'll have fun doing it, and then does a laugh. Palumbo says, sounds good to me, Tank, and does a dog bark. Yeah, and then Tank and Rick appear, and all I've got in my notes is, you guys are pretty fucked now. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, actually, because Tank's, like, over the shoulder, and is like, yeah, look at that fat goon <laughs> talking about himself. Yeah. <laughs> Self-deprecation, you know, he's a good guy, he's Tank. Stasiak stands up and turns into a straight right from Tank Abbott. Dead. Yeah. And Tank says, that's the magic of videotape, pretty boys. That was two hours ago. <laughs> I love that. Again, you know, it, it's kind of, it's slightly fourth wall breaking um, in that what you see on the show isn't necessarily always what's happening. And they don't always tell you who's arriving when. But even, you know, even the wrestlers themselves can fall for it. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good use of uh, that. And actually, on the next episode, which we did cover with Lauren, Palumbo and Stasiak go and spend time in the control booth, like learning about the production of the show. So it actually gives context as to why they'd want to do it thereafter. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch that episode. I'm going to watch it again with context. Which, will, which I think will help it a great deal. Yeah, probably. And it's interesting as well because that's the Banks, Taylor and Farrar episode. And clearly some of the stuff in that episode 
has been, right, we're going to move on from where the storyline is and maybe use ideas that Bischoff and Russo had. Yeah. It'd be interesting to do. Yeah. So, next up... Cap- sorry, sorry, I've got, to cut, I've got to cut you off. When Cap puts his hand on Russo's shoulder and Russo screams, that was <laughs> hysterical to me. That was pure comedy gold. Like, he's so, like, just just on edge and terrified that even one of his cronies just tapping him on the shoulder can make can make him squeal. It 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 just really tickled the piss out of me. Yeah, it, it's been he's been so good for someone who didn't have any sort of TV training. It, it's taken to it like a duck to water. He really has. It really has, yeah. Yeah. Cat says that he'll never leave Rousseau's side, and he opens the door to a limo, and then he screams and runs away. <laughs> and he's outside. <laughs> not, not, not only that, Cat sprints off. Rousseau sees it's Scott Steiner, screams, ah, shit, and runs off over the tops of trucks that are parked nearby. Yeah. Oh, it, it was really good. And, I mean, yet again, we've said it about Russo's shows before, but the amount of effort they put into filming these backstage segments, it's just... Because I imagine they had to do, you know, multiple takes to get these rather than just modern wrestling where it's, ah, just just get it in the can and go. You know, these have been filmed like television and comes across as good television. Yeah, it does. Absolutely right. Although I do like to think that they just did it all in one take and it was all absolutely perfect. But that's only to confirm my own bias. Yeah, well, you'd hope. But, I mean, I, th- I think if you're giving it the respect of it being proper television, you'd probably treat it like that. But... Up next, it's uh, the tank segment. So we'll we'll come to that later. Uh, and then we see uh, Russo's uh, attempting to leave the arena. He finds an open car and gets in. And then Nash tries to pull him out through the passenger side window. <laughs> that was beautiful. Like, like Nash just grabbing him, ripping his shirt, and Russo just clawing and scratching like hell to get away. It was, again, like you said, for a guy with no TV training, it was, it was almost perfect. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, the cat's uh, with Pamela Parshock is perving over her, but he says uh, he's going to take out Scott Steiner in the ring tonight. See, I didn't listen to this promo properly because I was just, well, I never listened to anything the cat has to say. But, yeah, the perviness lost me further. I thought he was challenging Kevin Nash. So I got very confused later on. Uh, no, he was definitely challenging uh, Scott Steiner. So. Yeah. Next up, next up, Kidman's with Mean Gene, and um, we're getting highlights of Kidman being the special ref and helping Hogan to beat Jarrett, and then Kidman taking the spear and Hogan getting the jackhammer. Um, Kidman says that he did what he did because Eric told him to trust Horace, so he did what he did to screw Eric. Yeah, he sort of goes off on one about you know nobody. Uh, sorry, everybody said he was paranoid about Horace being a rat, but he was right, and look what happened. You know, he's not buddies with the Hogans. He didn't do it for them. He did it to screw Eric, and it, it, it sounds like he's trying to start a new catchphrase when he says uh, he ends the uh, the promo with the, this kid don't play. Yeah, unfortunately, this kid has to come up with some bullshit to excuse Hogan's creative control that he played at the pay-per-view. 
Yeah, unfortunately. But, you know, Kidman's getting a world title match, so yeah. step, step forward, I guess. So it's not the main event, and it's um, not uh, and it's not champion out second. It's Jeff Jarrett who's out first. He's in street attire. Uh, they actually cover that on commentary. Um, Mark Madden says that his bags didn't get here, so Jeff Jarrett's having to wrestle in street clothes and is uh, uh, wearing a slap nuts t-shirt. And you can buy one of those slap nuts t-shirts if you visit wcw.com, which I thought was quite a, a nice. Little segue. Yeah, nice look back, but um, but you know, who realistically wants a slap nuts T-shirt? No, but I thought they were making chicken salad out of chicken shit. You know, basically saying mm-hmm. uh, he's in street clothes and then using that as an excuse to uh, shill some merch. He's against um, Kidman, and uh, at the start of the match, Jarrett attacks Kidman before his uh, music's even finished. Uh, not long into the match, the Filthy Animals dub hits. And Conan, Ray, Disco, Hoovy, and Tigress are out. But Jarrett's actually telling him to piss off, essentially. Yes. Um, the filthy animals nearly cost Jarrett the title because as soon as they come out, Kidman gets the roll up for two and he, you know, hits a, a version of the sky high for two. You know, Jarrett manages to crotch Kidman when he goes to the top, but there's a lot of very near falls for Kidman in a very short space of time. Yeah, and we definitely think that the filthy animals are there to help Kidman, don't we? And Tigress gets on quali- on commentary and classic WCW production, um, the headphones don't work to start with. Uh, but- yeah, it's, it's so bad. Um, just to go back to the in-ring stuff for a minute, did you see the, um, the splash that Kidman hit to Jarrett's face? Yes. Count it? Yeah. Oh, that... That looked fucking nelly. For for all I for all I you know I, I, I say I, you know I hate Jarrett and all the rest of it. I, I don't wish like injury or disfigurement on the guy. Obviously, it didn't have a it didn't have a lasting effect that we know. Of, but it looked fucking brutal. Yeah, it did. It did, uh, and not the sort of normal thing you'd associate with Kidman's uh, style and work ethic or whatever. Yeesh. Yeah, um, eventually Tigress tells um, us that uh, they're here to support our people. And then we get Ray distracting the ref and Conan's in and he guitar shots Kidman. And Tigress says um, that Kidman abandoned them. And we get a stroke from Jarrett and a three count and Jarrett wins. Yeah, this match did its job insofar as for, for a split second I thought Kidman might win. Even though I know he doesn't. I just, even then it suckered me in. So, you know, Kidman did everything right. Yeah. Um, Jarrett turned up. That's not the end of the night for Jeff Jarrett. Um, The animals uh, attack Kidman, but then Nash's music hits. Uh, There's a big boot to Jarrett, and he starts strangling him with with a belt and drags him to the back. Yeah, good. Exactly what he deserves. I said he wish death on him, not, um, not, um, you know, (laughs) <laughs> Not a storyline ass kicking. <laughs> so next up, Vampiro's out and he's got a gas blowtorch. Vampiro says it's three days since he sent that actor Steve Borden to hell, but he feels no remorse. I, I loved him bringing that back. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was a great callback to what, you know, the feud that's only just, I, I suppose, done. And he's saying he can still smell burning flesh. And I think it's something like he says every ounce of his subhuman frame. Feels no remorse. 
just that extra that extra stank on it. Vampiro's been really good in recent weeks on the episodes that we've watched. Uh, he's been a real sadistic bastard. Uh, and his counterpoint in that saying that Sting knew nothing at all about the dark side. Uh, and I love this, yeah. that Vampiro saying this is his life and, you know, Steve Borden's just an actor who turns up. And he's telling people in the crowd to take their Sting masks off. Uh, and he goes um, to ringside and gets in an argument with a fan. And then he rips a mask off a woman. Uh, but it's Asia, and she spits blood in his face. Mike Tenay says it, it's a red substance, <laughs> which is just, you know, oh, standards and practices. Yeah. We've had this with the Kiss Demon so before. Yeah, where um, Tony Giovanni had to say it's not blood, it's um, egg white and food colouring. Like, fucking hell. Just, just don't say anything and just let people think it's blood. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, but does yes, it, does it really does it really take that much? Because the visual of it, because before he ripped off Asia's mask, he ripped a guy's t-shirt next to him and pie-faced him. Then he takes Asia's mask off and she spits the blood, and it, you can see the shock in Vampiro's eyes and you know the blood spackling his face paint. Yeah, it's, it's a great visual. It's a great visual. Yeah, it's ruined by the commentary, and and, and the problem is as well the, the commentary duos we've talked about on both the Nitro and Thunder on this episode have done so much good so, yeah. so much good work yeah but it makes this sort of thing that much more jarring yeah it does it really does and especially as well god of thunder hits you know so yeah for me you're on to a winner anyway you know you, you've got bloody kiss song back in this as a theme track to all of it um matt madden says um it takes a freak to take on a freak and uh, the demon's in the ring, and he attacks Vampiro. But Vampiro... Did, did, did Madden think Steiner was coming out? <laughs> <laughs> well, it could have been Medeja or Shakira, although uh, Shakira's uh, uh, <laughs> on a disciplinary for a childcare <laughs> skills. Um, <laughs> She's not going to pass an XCRB check. Yeah. So Vampiro hits him with the blowtorch, and... Tony Schiavone's telling the audience that Dale Tarbog and Medeja are engaged. Yeah, and I, I, I quite I didn't mind this sort of look into reality. Um, no, because you know it kind of uh, it sounds odd, but you know it, it humanizes the demon character, which I think they kind of needed at this point, especially given where they're going to go from here. You know, they well, needed him to be. They, they didn't need him to be supernatural. In the same way that Finn Balor sort of slips into the de- uh, you know the demon character, and as well, Vampiro's just come off the back of a feud with Sting, where the the blurring the Steve Borden line. So exactly, why, yeah. Why, why would he go from Sting Steve Borden to ooh spooky demon? It, it makes no yeah, sense. Exactly. And 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 Torborg, demons shown just very briefly, and this is he hits the ring. He ducks two clotheslines, hits a hits a cracking butterfly suplex. Then, like you say, Vampiro hits him with the uh, the blowtorch and and the drop all. You know the drop all about that. But then it goes sort of it goes next level for me with Vampiro and his and how sadistic he is because he hits the um, the sit out pile driver on Asia. The nail in the coffin. I've written in my notes. He gives her the nail in the coffin. Ooh, that sounds wrong. 
it does a wee bit, yeah. But you know, we've spoken before in on this podcast um, and on UTT about how Asia can more than mix it up with the blokes. Yeah. So to see her laid out like that by Vampiro, because you know, in a, in a in a in a slugfest, one on one Asia Vampiro, you're looking at them both going, "Well, I, I might take the, I might put my money on Asia." You know. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she is Jack. She's she's muscle. She's well built, and yeah, Vampiro just takes her out without a second thought. Uh, without a second thought, and just I was sat there just thinking, "Shit, that looked brutal." Yeah, and then um, Vampiro and the demon fight up the ramp. Um, the demon locks Vampiro in the casket. We see a flashback to Asia in the ring who's not moving, and then the demon uses his torch to blow fire on the casket. Uh, did you see the demon defy gravity? No, what was that? So Vampiro went to Irish whip the demon into the barricade, and I yeah. don't know what happened, but they were still, like, you know, locked at the wrist, and the demon did, like, a little spin in midair and took a bump on the floor. And Vampiro wow. decided to take the bump into the into the into the uh, the barrier. <laughs> it just Bizarre. it just looks so unnatural. The demon spun. He, he spun like a fucking Beyblade. You know, <laughs> topical reference there for anybody th- over thirty. Um, yeah, it, it was just bizarre. I'd, I'd say go back and watch it, but I'm not sure it's worth it. It's just weird. But yeah, you know, he breathes fire on the on the sarcophagus. I was kind of expecting the sarcophagus to go up in flames. So, well, kinda, it, uh, I was just going to say that if lost the deposit, Gene Simmons would have been all over him if that had gone on fire. Yeah, but I was, you know, I was thinking at the, you know, at this time a little bit before Undertaker and Kane and and all the mad shit that used to pull there. So maybe I was, maybe I set my expectations a bit too high. I mean, we've not been allowed to call the red substance blood <laughs> because of standards and practices. They're probably like, mm. can't have a flaming casket. But, you can't call you can't call it blood, but setting someone on fire is fine. Yeah. Oh, you can set someone on fire. You can't set a um, casket image of Gene Simmons on fire. <laughs> yeah, that's really more of a trademark issue, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. After this whole scene, we do see Vampiro opening the casket and just as it goes to break, which I thought was a really effective thing, that he was coming out of the casket and then it cuts away. If he hadn't initially tried to open the casket, as commentary said, we don't even know if he can get out of there. And then the door moves, and I think it's Scott Hudson has to backtrack quickly and say, oh, I think he can. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, that casket is pretty flimsy and all that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, well, it's not exactly it's not exactly stone, is it? No. Next up, Daphne calls out Miss Hancock. Daphne's uh, in the ring in a black wedding dress, and uh, she's um, saying that she can't believe that David's uh, done this to her. And she says, "Miss Peacock's not your type. She's the type to get her legs broken by me." Which I quite like that. She calls her a lanky toothpick as well. Yeah, she does. Uh, Hancock's music hits and. She's out to the ring. Daphne uh, asks, how could she do this? And uh, Miss Hancock says, um, just call your fiancé. Was it, was, it was it in this segment that um, I think it was Mark Madden had the line, 
David Flair finally saw naked women in New York and he's not been the same since. Yes, it was. It was, which we speculated wasn't the case because there was the bleeding into reality or, or, or the storyline with uh, Miss Hancock Earls when he said, um, what did you think about that blonde you saw me at the bar with Dad? Dave Pinzer tries to break up the fight, you know, so Dave Pinzer's here to save the day, but it doesn't work out well for him. Super Pinzer fucked <laughs> it up. <laughs> yeah. David flares out. He drags Daphne off Miss Hancock and he's shouting at her in the corner. Crowbar's in for the save, but um, David does the classic flare begging on his knees and then low blows him. The crowd are shouting for Daphne. Yeah. I thought it was a decent segment. Yeah. It, it got more support for Daphne. That's that's the main thing. And weirdly, with that drop to his knees and the low blow, David has never looked more like his dad. No, he really did at that point. Yeah. He did that really well, in fairness to him. Yeah, he did. Uh, next up, we see the cat backstage shadow boxing. Clearly, Tank Abbott's shadow wasn't around. <laughs> Sorry, that just, that just really tickled me. <laughs> oh, God, I must be drunk. Next up, um, Vince Russo's uh, found the perfect place to hide. He's hiding in the cat's office. He says, Nash will never think of that uh, I'm stupid enough to hide in here. And uh, from behind the plant pots, we hear uh, Nash shout, here's Johnny. Yeah, it's a seven-foot guy sat at a desk hiding behind a couple of plants. It, 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 it should have been fairly obvious that he was in the room. But nevertheless, it's fun. Yeah. And it made me laugh. Like I say, it's a, it's a little bit Scooby-Doo-ish, but it made me chuckle, so I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it. Next up, commentary ascending well wishes to Bobby Heenan and his wife, Cindy, who's ill at the moment, and Bobby's missing funder to look after her, which I thought was a nice touch. With yeah, we, a few of these sort of things in, in Nitro when they've, you know, wished well to a cameraman whose uh, wife's giving birth or, um, you know, uh, just random things that you wouldn't necessarily get on the other channel. Yeah, it's, it's a nice little touch, and, and it's... It just made me think of when Bobby Heenan was wanting to pay tribute to Gorilla Monsoon and he got in trouble because they didn't want him to do it. Um, I don't know if that's before or after this. I can't remember off the top of my head. but I, I can't remember in terms of the timeline, but I, I do think we, we, we seem to get more tributes and well wishes from WCW, definitely. I, I can't remember. Yes. Uh, Thing these that haven't been to serve their own ends in WWE. You, you, you spot on. Yeah. Next up, it's Scott Steiner, who's um, uh, out with uh, Medeja and Sakira versus the cat, who's uh, got um, R&B security, including Kiki. Um, with this, I didn't make any notes about Scott Steiner's promos. I got distracted. Um, was it about his penis and beating up the cat? Uh, he said he was going to um, give Katz the ass-kicking that was due to Bischoff and Russo. Just before that, though, Tony Schiavone said that there was a chance for fans to meet Sid Vicious in Jacksonville. Uh, and I've put, well, if you, you've got him there to sell tickets, why the fuck isn't he on the show? <laughs> this is very true. At a time when... you know, Half-ball seasons. <laughs> well, yeah. But, you know, at a time, at a time when WCW need somebody to go up against the new blood and you know a credible physical threat to Goldberg. Why isn't Sid Vicious why isn't Psycho Sid Sid Vicious on your show? 
I think I think this is probably more a Sid Vicious issue than a wanting him on the show issue. Uh, I, I can't imagine wanting him on the show. I understand that, I do, but... Yes. You know, same time, that you know, they've thrown money at a lot less over the years. When we last saw Sid Vicious as the Millennium Man, he was... Yeah. He was fucking brilliant. We loved it, didn't we? We really did. Yeah, so Mark Madden's trying to talk up the Cats' chances. He's saying the Cats are legitimate three-time Karate World Champion, um, but unfortunately that's not worth much against Scott Steiner. And Tony Schiavone agrees that um, being a three-time Karate World Champion and $1.50 will get you a coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> oh, back in the days when a coffee was $1.50. But it, it's, it's also great because Tony Schiavone went on to work for Starbucks. Very true, I forgot about that. I didn't pay much attention to this match because I'm, I'm not a fan of the cat, but there was a moment of genuine comedy where I think uh, Steiner was on top early with the chops and a big hip toss, and, and the cat just takes a powder and, and pisses off up the ramp. Steiner starts arguing the, with the ref, because of course he does, and cat tries to slide in and takes his leg, but legs out but falls about a foot short. It was brilliant. <laughs> just that, that sort of freezing yeah. time where the cat's like looking. It's like a cartoon character that's run off the end of a cliff and doesn't quite realise and then he looks down. Yeah, he just, he's there just like reaching for Scott's ankles and he's got his arms outstretched and he's falling short. And it's that. It's like if Wiley. It's like when, like you say, when Wiley Coyote does the, uh, the look down and the blinks and the blinks at the camera before falling. Yeah, it, it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, comedy gold that bit, but the whole sort of rest of the match is is just kind of there. So uh, basically, the end of the match, R and B security come in and uh, attack Steiner. Um, They hold Steiner for the cat to uh, kick him, but Shakira comes in and low blows um, one of R and B security, so um, Steiner gets free. And as uh, the cat. uh, turns round, Medeja high cross bodies him from the top rope. Love that. Yeah. I'm involved with Medeja getting involved. Um, multiple suplexes by Steiner, Steiner recliner and, and the tap out, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is. Matt Madden's, uh, well, into Sleazy Madden is uh, wondering if uh, it's the world's first luchador with breast implants. Oh, I hated that line. Yeah. Not not good. Like so much, we've joked about stops. You know, stop Madden being right two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times a show, but that was a, a big mark against uh, Mister Madden there. I think, though, to to be fair, I all I've been feeling recently that we've been getting a lot more good than bad. It's just when he's bad, it's like, oh, why are you doing it? Yeah, uh, it's it's like oh you. Doing, you're doing great, you're doing great, you're doing great, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. Like when you watch football. it's like when you watch football, it's like when you watch football and you've got a player on your team who you, you just, you're almost, you know, you're kind of rooting for to do really well because they've, you know, come against the grain and come against some bad form or anything like that. And you want to, you know, they have a couple of good games and you're thinking, yes, this is it, this is it, this is it, and then they get sent off. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. It's funny, uh, I think he has a lot more hits, hits than misses, uh, and then there's like a bit further down the scale, there's the Joel Gertners, uh, and then right the other end of the scale with no hits and a hell of a lot of misses, there's Jerry Lawler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 shithead, the, the shithead commentator spectrum. Yeah. 
to be fair, uh, that aside, I enjoyed this match. Mm. Um, it was not one, not one of my favourites, but I, I like the finish. To, to be fair, well, yeah, I, I enjoyed the finish. I enjoyed Madeja and Sakira getting involved. I, I loved the cats falling short. I thought that was about as good as we could get out of the cat. You know, uh, I couldn't learn about him. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, again, with, with the cat, uh, less is definitely more, and, and it was mercifully short. Yeah, uh, the cat gets on the mic after the match. He says, wait a minute, he's using a legal chokehold. Since I'm the commissioner, I'm disqualifying you, and the Steiner recliner is banned. See, this, I hold, this I hold more sort of affection for, because a character like the cat, it makes perfect sense that he'll abuse his power. Yeah. Oh, I, so I love that, a show. That's fine. Yeah. Then we get something very sinister. Yeah, Jeff Jarrett is hogtied on the floor of the cat's office, and um, Kevin Nash calls Scott Hall and is asking what he should do with him. Uh, there's a pause, and he says, that's a felony in all 50 states. And, um, like <laughs> and he says, I can shoot the piece of shit. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> Yeah, so he's basically looking at, you know, shooting somebody who's illegally imprisoned. Yeah, so, you know, japes. <laughs> David Flair's with Mean Gene. Um, David Flair's saying um, it's um, none of Crowbar or Mean Gene's business, what's going on between him and Daphne, but he's going to uh, do what he did to uh, Ric Flair and shave Crowbar bald. I, I don't think he is. I've seen shows after this where Crowbar isn't bald. Yeah, but we don't know this at this time. Um, you know, if we're watching it live. Yeah, so it's, ne- true, yeah. It's, it, it's still it's not the it's not the most tough threat though, is it? It's like I'm gonna do the same to you and shave your head You're like great free haircut. He just wants a manscape sponsorship, that's all it is. <laughs> oh god. Good old manscaped. They'll sponsor anybody. <laughs> Apart from us. Don't buy manscaped. David Flair versus Crowbar is up next. They both come out to the same theme, obviously. Uh, the match, start, again, loved this start because these two people now hate each other because what's happened with Daphne. Crowbar starts the match with a baseball slide drop kick to David while he's on the outside of the ring. You know, yeah, why, why the fuck? You don't start this match with the lockup, which is exactly what would happen in 2022 wrestling. Well, it's exactly what happened with, between David and Rick. Mm. It, start, it started with four lockups. Yeah. Whereas these guys just want to beat the piss out of each other. It's baseball slide, punches, chops, clubs to the back, back elbow. You know, David gets a thumb to the eye, more chops, crowbars reversing it into yet more chops and punches. The trade waist locks, and David hits what David Flair is one of the shittest German suplexes I've ever seen. Yeah. So, yeah. He was trying. He was. He was very trying. Uh, the the thing I thought about this match was there there were try you know there was gut wrench suplexes you said the German suplex uh, crowbar reverses a suplex into uh, a front suplex yes it was a shit German the wrestling was kind of all right in this match it wasn't the worst wrestling I've ever seen in my life True. Um, and but the crowd was just chanting boring. This is the thing. There was nothing awful in the, apart from that German suplex. There was nothing awful in this match. 
But the only things that stood out as any good all came from Crowbar. Yeah. David, David didn't do anything particularly dastardly as a heel until the very end. Um, no. All the physical, uh, you know, everything physically impressive came from Crowbar. Yeah. David, he was, it felt like, again, don't know shit about being in the ring, but it very much felt like Crowbar was doing his damnedest to make David look good, which which is obviously his job. But when it's noticeable as you're watching it, it's not necessarily a good thing. It's like when I said on the previous episode about um, about Ric Flair checking his stride and going a, going half a step slower. Yeah. To accom- to accommodate David. It's when it's noticeable, it's not good. It's it's not necessarily awful, but it's not good. You know, when you've got crowbar popping off slingshot cross bodies to the floor, or you know, a slingshot flipping leg drop and, and, and just generally being much more impressive and David not doing anything particularly dastardly to counter that until he smashes the Statue of Liberty over Crowbar's head, which we've already seen multiple times already. It sadly fell a little bit flat, which is annoying because I was I saw this was the main event and I was like, wow, okay, bring it on. You know, I'm rooting for these two guys. I hope they give me something... Not necessarily something excellent, but I hope they get yeah. an entertaining main event. And, and and it was, it's like rating a beer two point five out of five on Untapped. It do, it's not bad, but it doesn't mean it's memorable. No, no, it's just Magic Rock uh, Inhaler. The, the Magic Rock Inhaler of wrestling matches. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing wrong with it. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. David goes to shave Crowbar's head. Daphne runs in and tries to stop him. David shoves her down by a hand to the face. I, I dislike this for many reasons. But primary among them, you know, take out take aside all the personal history between David and Daphne. About two weeks ago, Daphne was the goddamn cruiserweight champion. She's a legit fucking badass. She's a psychopath, and she's been done in by a shove to the face. I think the thing is as well, though, it's not just as simple that it's just a random that shoved her in the face. It's that David's broke her heart and shoved her in the face. And... I don't understand those emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, but I, I think you've got to add that to context, that... She she's not it's not necessarily the fact that she's physically knocked down and, and she is you know, yeah. she's physically knocked down, but she's emotionally knocked down by it as well. And it's sort of soul destroyed as opposed to her stanima bar in WWE two K twenty two is is empty. I don't I don't wow. think in a situation like this it's as simple because you've got that emotional and psychological effects of your partner lover ultimately betraying you and the last vestige of hope that you know a little voice in your head that's telling you that this isn't happening it is completely wiped away see all i when i've experienced that all i ever get is um is anger and, and revenge so 
I think I'm just I think I'm just going wrong in the fact that I just wanted Daphne to beat the shit out of him. I think I'm, proje- and, I, think I'm proje- I think I'm projecting too much. And potentially that will come, but I think in the moment she she's dealing with the shock and rejection of it. Uh, and I think you can see that in her face. I, I think yeah, that, I can. think there's some really good performances on this, especially earlier in the night when David backed her into the corner and was shouting at her. And there was was like a second of confidence and then you saw it drain out of her face and just go. And I I think that's... Again, I think think my problem is I'm I'm a little bit drunk and I just want better for Daphne. And that's because I'm being drawn into the storyline. I actually give a shit about what happens to these people. I want yeah. Daphne to get. I want Daphne. I want justice for Daphne, and I want David to get his ass kicked for what he's been doing to her. And, and I think just just for Daphne is more TV time and drawing the story out, and, and that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I'm just. I'm, I'm being a 2022 wrestling fan and wanting instant gratification. <laughs> I'm not infallible. I'm not infallible. No, no, no. But, yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, David um, starts shaving Crowbar's head. Uh, Miss Hancock's music hits. Miss Hancock um, teases David. Um, she, she untucks her shirt, dear me. She untucks her shirt. She nearly showed some ankle, and that's enough to get David to the back. <laughs> that's enough to get David walking walking with the rubbery stars like Vic Reeves off Shooting Stars. Well, this was the same sort of time as the original show in Stars. I'm surprised he didn't get her on with Arika and uh, 50s throwback, Mark Lamar. Oh, imagine, imagine a, a shooting Stars-themed wrestling show. We'll have to see if it ever happened. I'll get on to Nash, because uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll need somebody to play Georgie Dawes. So up next, um, Kevin Nash is dragging Jarrett to the ring. He's choking him with a baseball bat. Nash says, uh, Russo, on Monday night, you um, scarred uh, a vision into my little nephew's brain. When I was young, I went to see the movie Deliverance. There was a scene in it that scarred my mind, which I'm assuming is the rape scene, because of what happens next. Uh, is it just me, or does Double J have A, and then it's censored out, and then Mark Madden says, pretty mouth, uh, uh, like in response to what Kevin Nash has just said in a questioning way, so well done, WWE Network censorship. Yeah, it's, it doesn't really work, does it, when somebody's repeating it back right after? Yeah. Um, and then and then just after that, you hear um, you, you know, Nash is there telling Jarrett to squeal like a piggy for him. Yeah. You know, it's like... You ain't from Rambo, boy. Um, yeah, which I assume from I'm sure the uh, One Man's Meat podcast on Disgusting Awful will be able to tell us more. Yeah, I'm sure they will, but I, you know, I've never seen Deliverance and I need to. No, so. From a historical cinema point of view. So, so challenge extended, lads. Uh, we need a Deliverance review to uh, help us <laughs> contextualise <laughs> this thing that's scarring, uh, scarring our minds, never mind Kevin Nash's uh, nephew Hunter <laughs> who I can only assume is watching the show backstage with Sakira <laughs> <laughs> oh god sorry all, the, all that popped into my head then was uh, was 
like saying to Scottish Danny, uh, help us, Obi Dan, you're our only hope. <laughs> well, it is not Jeff Jarrett's only hope because Russo's music hits and um, he says, that's enough. Uh, I'm standing right here, but I've got something in my pocket. And he holds up Scott Hall's contract. He says, for the, the point, he's got something on his uh, on his torso. He's got a replacement three and O shirt. Ah, well, yeah, selling like hotcakes. Vince Russo's bought two of them. So he says, for the last four years, you've done everything to protect Scott Hall. And to a certain extent, so has Eric Bischoff. And there probably hasn't been truer words spoken. Mm. He says, but Bischoff isn't here tonight. I hated Scott Hall up there, and I hate him down here. Love that one. I loved that uh, Mark Madden say, said, up where? Down where? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, feigning ignorance to, uh, you know, to keep any potential lawsuits at bay, I think. Yeah. And he said, unless you back off and um, leave, you can say goodbye to the bad guys contract. Again, another great line. Yeah, and I, I think this is brilliant because obviously they can't use Scott Hall at the moment because of you know his personal demons but it's a great way to like tease to the audience Keep and and dangle it in front of him that they possibly can come back but Russo's the one that's going to keep him away Goldberg's music hits Nash grabs uh, Jarrett by the neck and there's ages where Russo's telling Nash that Goldberg's coming and then Goldberg attacks Nash from behind. Oh, it's, and it's a great camera angle. It's, it's a fantastic camera angle because it's just there. You can, I think you can see the apron of the ring and you look sort of looking up at Nash, but you can see the, um, the crowd behind him and all that. And it's, it's almost like it comes from nowhere. Goldberg's there in the sort of bottom <laughs> left. But when you say you can see him, you're seeing him behind Vince Russo on the Nitro Vision. So it's the oh, cameras sorry. on Rick. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fantastic. It, it was it felt like the um, sort of forefather of you know the um, wrestling trope that come across in the last couple of years of of somebody looming up behind someone like a Keith Lee or, or yes, oh whatever you know, or Kota Ibushi landing on his feet or anything like that. Yeah, it feels like the forebear to that. Yeah, it did. It was, it was really good cinematography, which is not something we often say for WCW, is it? It's the, the first time we've said it. I think it's the first time anyone said that sentence. <laughs> it, oh, that'll be a great that'll be a great question to pose uh, to pose Twitter. Say, so, has there ever been an, an example of great cinematography in WCW in two thousand? Yeah. Well, we're the only ones that watched WCW in 2000, so... Well, <laughs> certainly... for, everybody that, for everybody that says no, we get to say, fuck you, there is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goldberg crouches down for the spear, and then he flips off the crowd and low blows Nash. Yeah, he does. And he, and he rips off Jarrett's handcuffs with his bare hands. Yeah, that was brilliant, that. Because he, even though it's obviously, you know, stage wire or whatever it is in the audience's perception it's not and it makes Goldberg look immense and he is immense but you know I fully believe Goldberg could do that in real life 
Yeah. I know it's a borderline physical impossibility, but I believe it. I, I loved that Jarrett, as soon as he's free, grabs the bat and starts attacking Nash. And obviously, after he's been through that ordeal, I suppose he's going to go one of two ways. Yeah, he's either going to be a nervous wreck or he's going to want revenge. And and it was good that they played into one of the sort of reactions that he would have. So that's that uh, right to me. Psychology, dare we say. Yeah. And then we get Russo standing over Nash, uh, a foot on him, the co- Scott Hall's contract in his hand above his head, motioning like he's going to rip it up and it fades to black. I love that tease at the end. Yeah, like we say about Cliff, uh, one of the things we look at uh, in the Doctor Who podcast, and and you've sort of given me the uh, the catchphrase, and that's you know that's when the Doctor died, um, is the cliffhangers at the end of every episode. This, you know, we're looking at. I'm looking at that thing, and that's when Scott Hall lost his contract. And I know it's not when you lost. You know, I know it's not. It didn't get ripped up, but it dangled the carrot like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's really good television, really good way of keeping you invested and wanting to see what happens next. Well, it worked on me 22 years later, so there we go. Yeah, and and it's a shame because, you know, this is the end of the Russo and Bischoff playing well together era. There's going to be a few more episodes where, the, well, obviously there's the Banks, Taylor and Ferrara for the next Raw and Nitro and then... The next couple of Nitros and Funders are the uh, Bischoff and Russo notionally working together, probably sending each other memos, that kind of thing. But but certainly um, the goodwill's gone. But it's been, I think, a, a really uh, a really decent creative period. Yeah, it really has. You know that that whole build to Great American Bash. You know we've been we were looking forward to that for so long. And they did it so well. They kept us going and, and kept everything building and building and building. But you know, maybe, arguably, peaked a little bit too early on certain things. You know, like the Tank versus Goldberg match. But again, you know, that had its purpose. But yeah, it, it was just done so well, and they kept it going through the Nitro. And I'm, I'm genuinely very sad that. After the next, you know, next couple of episodes, well, in fact, from now, we don't get Prime, Russo and Bischoff. Yeah. It's a, it's a shame, a great shame. Yeah, uh, but we're going to see where it goes uh, from here, which which is always going to be interesting. We've got to uh, trust WCW 2000 and see where it goes. But uh, before we do that, we've got the tank segment. And before we do that, we've got the LinkedIn Hey, the LinkedIn before the people's main event. We, we haven't had LinkedIn for a while, have we? No, we haven't. It's been, uh, Christ, how long, how long has it been? It's been a fair, it's got to be yeah. six to eight episodes. Yeah, definitely. So for the final time on Good Terms, Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff are going to log into LinkedIn and look at the qualities that Mike Awesome and Canyon might have that would make them suitable opponents for Tank Abbott and Rick Steiner. They're both massive. Yeah, that's probably going to help. So uh, Mike Awesome is a cousin of Horace Horse Hogan. Which means he's he's due a favour. Yeah, he was trained by Steve Kern uh, of Skinner and Doink the Clown fame. Fair enough. Yeah. Not bad. 
at debut in 1986 against Eddie Graham. Wow, really? Quite a respectable uh, opponent to debut against, isn't it? And actually, I don't, I don't know why, but I, I, for some reason I didn't think that Mike Awesome debuted in the 80s. Yeah, it, it worked in Florida Championship Wrestling, USWA, WCW in 86 uh, for the next few years um, in 1990 he started working in um, the frontier martial arts wrestling um, FMW in Japan as gladiator uh, and in 1996 he becomes their independent heavyweight champion and has the longest reign of any of their champions um, I, d- I did not know any of that yeah, in the meantime he has various stints in ECW between 1993 and 2000 uh, and is in all Japan in 98 and 99 two time ECW champion and uh, as we've covered before while ECW champion jumps to WCW yeah absolutely huge and obviously they had uh, you know the infamous now um, Mike Awesome versus Taz match WCW guy versus WWE guy for the ECW title on an ECW show. Yeah, yeah, the, the match of the Monday Night Wars. On the 10th of April 2000, he signs a two-year contract with WCW, £300,000 a year, plus $2,000 for every house show and um, $3,000 for every pay-per-view. Um, Not a bad wage. Yeah, um, from the 10th of April to the close of WCW, uh, he does 16 house shows and uh, 11 uh, pay-per-views, although I think that includes like the uh, exclusive like German language special that they did, etc. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be pay-per-view, pay-per-views. But yeah, so that brings him to a total earnings of $415,000, which means at this point, you could get 0.64 Tank Abbott's or 1.57 Mike Awesome's for a Tank Abbott. I'm taking the Tank Abbott. Yeah, yeah, the two-third size Tank Abbott. You'd still take that. It's still, still pack an almighty punch. Absolutely would. Be enough to topple me, are you? Yeah. Canyon, believe it or not, played rugby for the University of Buffalo. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah so for Fair first... Enough rugby player we've had uh, in 1992 he graduated with a degree in physiotherapy and for the next three years it, it was like you know like a, a weekend warrior wrestler sort of thing but working full-time as a physiotherapist um yeah uh, he actually began his training in, in 1991 uh, wrestling under uh, bobby bald eagle uh, who was former wwf and joint promotions wrestler uh, tagged with big daddy i thought you could <laughs> I thought for a second you were going to say that Bobby Ball trained him. <laughs> no, Bobby Bald Eagle, not Bald, Bald Eagle. Yeah, so uh, a bit of uh, joint promotions uh, uh, in the... Um, like that. Yeah, it has his debut in 1992. 1994, he's wrestling in the WWF uh, as a jobber. He faces the likes of Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Tatanka, etc. Yeah. Uh, and it, in 19... In 94, his path crosses with uh, Father James Mitchell, who uh, thinks he's uh, capable of, of more, basically, and sends him at separate uh, points to go train with Fabulous Moolah and Affa. It baffles me how long that Father James Mitchell has been involved in wrestling. I th- legit thought he was a TNA, like, original guy, because that, that was my first exposure to him. Yeah. 
Well, he was definitely there in ECW, and we've covered him on um, some of the ECW episodes. Uh, but yeah, he, he's obviously been kicking around the business for a long time. Uh, in '95, he worked in WCW as a jobber, and '96 is in there as Mortis, which you've you've spoken about before. I love Wrath and Wrath and Mortis. Absolutely yeah, love. they they were they were action figures waiting to be made. Oh, they totally were, yeah. Well, uh, you know, the, the whole glacier and whatever. Yeah, it's a, a great idea, but maybe a bit too late. 98 is in Raven's Flock, and 99, as we've covered on the shows and on Booking the Territory before, is in the Jersey Triad, and he's tagging with DDP. Yeah, it was... That was all right. Again, it was a little bit... To what we've said before now, it's... Uh, nobody gave much of a shit about Bam Bam Bigelow there either, so it, that was all kind of Bam Bammed. Yeah. Also in 2000, is in Ready to Rumble, and he's one of the main guys training David Arquette. And a great job he did. He really did. Now, there is a rumour. It was reported in IGN, although I think they, saw, they sourced the Observer, so Meltzer might have made this up. Um, so, you know, um, just before, just after sold out, when uh, the Radicals basically decide they're going to leave uh, because they don't like Kevin Sullivan. And uh, as we've said before, uh, Chris Benoit and um, Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn all go to the WWF and Conan and Shane Douglas try to go. There's the belief at the time that Canyon wanted to go too. Oh, but yeah. rumour is that Bill Bush wouldn't let him out of his contract. Now, his contract actually was due to expire on the 24th of April 2000, so it didn't actually have that long to go on it. Mm. So it's a little bit bizarre as to why he'd get kept, although he was obviously involved in Ready to Rumble and uh, had that uh, relationship with Marquette, so maybe there was sort of value to keep him in. And actually, WCW signed a new deal with him on the 3rd of March 2000, which uh, equated to $500 per appearance, plus he got expenses for um, hotels and travel and cars, etc., which obviously everyone else's wage, they're having to pay for that stuff out of. So, you know, it's a bit difficult to know how much that would actually uh, equate to in money terms. Previously been on 240k a year, so I, I guess he must have thought he had potential to earn something similar if that's the uh, carrot that's going to keep him to stay when he wants to go, although that could just be Meltzer's speculation. To my mind, sort of think about it logically, you know, you if they're going to add all, if they're going to add all that stuff in, they're either going to keep the wage the same or drop it slightly. So with those perks, I'd think maybe 200 grand a year plus the perks, because, you know, it, it depends how much the expenses amount to. Does he have carte blanche? Does he? Can he just book whatever he wants? Can he be five star hotels and yeah. class flights everywhere? Well, he does wrestle eighty six times in two thousand. Now, some of those will obviously be house shows, etc. Uh, and obviously, there's a lot of time that he's on TV that he's not wrestling. So, uh, is he getting five hundred dollars every time he's on TV? And uh, who knows? Uh, if we assume that it's the same level of earning that he had before, uh, you could get 0 0.37 Tank Abbots for a Canyon or 2.71 Canyons for a Tank Abbot. 
I'm taking the tank cab. I'm taking the third size tank cab. <laughs> well, if we're putting with the other one, then we've got a whole tank Abbott again. So, <laughs> oh, and that is dangerous. Yeah, it's like a Megazord on um, Power Rangers, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Mega tank. Yeah, that's one for Matt Willis. We're out to the pa- the tank section. Um, Canyon and Awesome uh, are out to the ring. Um, Canyon's doing diamond cutter uh, taunts in the background. Uh, we get highlights from Nitro, where Awesome attacks um, Steiner in the match against Canyon. Yeah, we get the um, we get Canyon doing his first um, his first DDP promo essentially because he's got the wig on. He does. He's, he's giving it, bro. I'm feeling really positive tonight. So positive, I'm willing to team up with the guy that tried to kill me. Yeah. And they just kind of gloss over it. You know, bottom line is I'm going to be sending my new book, Positively Canyon, this Friday in Paducah, Kentucky, with my co-author, Mark Smokey Madden, Smokey Robinson and Smokey the Bear. Yeah. Mark Madden Sorry. says, are we sure that's not the real page? <laughs> yeah. But I don't understand the, the Smokey references because he's done three there, so that must have some significance, uh- but I don't know what it is. Well, is that because the same Paducah, Kentucky? Now, is that an old Smoky Mountain wrestling area? That that was the connection I made to it. Ah, uh, uh, could well be. Yeah, Matt Madden says, "I guess that's my uh, day planned." Then. Yeah, and then you know, then he's saying, you know, then on Monday I'm going to be on Craig on Craig Kilborn with my good buddy, the hip, the current John Bon Jovi, suggesting that DDP is in fact out of touch. Although John Bon Jovi uh, and Bon Jovi the band did actually sing the best wrestling theme chant and song of all time, so um, Doctor Wagner Junior's "Bad Medicine" is an absolute banger. <laughs> oh god, I should have known you'd pull out something like that. Fair enough. I've never heard that song in my life. I'll, I'll remedy that. And then the promo side of things goes fairly downhill when Mike Awesome starts talking. Yeah, he's not good on the stick, is he, bless him? No, well, at least not good enough for where he is. Because um, no. he starts talking about Scott Steiner and then he, he doesn't have time for Steiner right now and he'll deal with him later, but he needs a warm-up. And it's just like, okay, so you're issuing some sort of open challenge? Fine. Yeah. But then that gets even weirder because why are Tank and Rick answering the challenge? But this is it. And Matt Madden says that the problem with issuing open challenges is that, that madmen like Tank Abbott and Rick Steiner answer them all too often. Fair enough. I didn't pick up on that line. But they, uh, they make their way to the ring to Tank and Rick and they look pissed. Yeah, well, they, they always do. Uh, Tank goes after Awesome with uh, jabs to the midsection. Awesome's trying to... Um, knee tank out of the corner but not with much luck while Rick and uh, Canyon uh, sort of brawl and roll out of the ring we get the tank yeet so awesome we haven't seen that in a while have we oh it was a welcome return as well I love it it was uh, it was beautiful I think he he just he just dumps awesome absolutely and then after that happens we see Rick Steiner reverse a whip to the barrier and in the ring tank has the very first ever in a wrestling ring recorded that I'm aware of, Bulldog Choke. Yeah, uh, and Tank's learned to wrestling move, so people need to start worrying now. 
I prefer to think that Tank innovated a wrestling move and has laid the foundation for John Moxley's success. I think that he charges in commission every time he uses it. I would not be surprised, and I bet it's I bet it's at least four figures. Yeah. Good yeah. Tank. Yeah. And then he transitions it sort of into a full Nelson, and uh, Rick goes to the top rope to jump off on Awesome, but Canyon knocks him off to the floor. Yeah, he does. Yeah, not not a great moment for him. But yeah, and then Mike Awesome mule kicks uh, Tank in what I've described as his glass testicles, because not much can take Tank Abbott down, but he has glass testicles. Achilles had his heel. <laughs> Tank has his bollocks. What can mm-hmm. I say? But yeah, he, uh, he eats a he eats a running lariat from from Mike Awesome and. Then you know Canyon throws Rick into the steps, and then it's uh, it's awesome just beating down Tank because he's he's trying to resuscitate his plums. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome goes for sort of a razor's edge on uh, Tank, but Tank wriggles free, and but Rick's in for the save, uh, although too late, and ends up accidentally Steinlining Tank. Fucking Rick, liability. Now, this has been the story of their tag team, hasn't it? It's all been Rick's fault. Awesome goes for the pin on Tank. He gets a one count. The camera misses it, because WCW, of course, it misses it. Um, I'm assuming it was a rope break, because Tank was so close to the ropes. Mm. Yeah, that's all I can assume as well. Yeah, Uh, and then the bell rings for reasons. I'm classing this as a no contest. It is. I'm, uh, I'm saying this is a draw, so Tank's tag team record is uh, two wins, one draw, and two losses so far, which are both Rick's fault. And his single record is um, 17 wins, four draws, and three losses, uh, all with asterisks next to them. Yeah, he's still got a stellar record uh, when you're taking the asterisks. But, you know, once again, Tank, Tank apart from his glass balls, did... Uh, you know, he, he did a bit. I think if uh, if Rick had just calmed down a step and just let Tank work his way out of his predicaments, it'd have been all right because, you know, Awesome has Tank up for the Awesome bomb but drops him and uh, and all that. You know, and Tank is so tough that he's still up on his feet. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree with you. Uh, Rick's always been the liability in this uh, pairing. Uh, it, it is what it is. Rick and um, Awesome are fighting each other. Palumbo and Stasiak uh, come in and attack Rick. And then Scott Steiner runs in to save Rick. Uh, we can see at the bottom of the screen, Tank is uh, lying down on his belly and he's edging backwards towards the pay window on his belly. Yeah, well, he didn't want to get in the way. You know, he knew that this was uh, Rick and Scott's moment. He wanted to give them that. And also his balls were still hurting, so... He didn't want to risk standing up in case he threw up. Yeah, uh, and then he realised it's going to take him too long and he just gets up and walks away. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we have to be sensible about these things, don't we? We do indeed. We get um, Scott and Rick are looking at each other and um, Tony Schiavone says, what are they going to do? And then it fades out. So we, do, we don't get the instant gratification of if they fall out or if they're going to shake hands. We, we've left that hanging, which I, I think is a better narrative device. Yeah, it, it very much is. And the crowd were really hot for a Steiner reunion. Yeah, they were. They really were, so. But, um, you know, it, that doesn't do Tang very much good, which is what we're really concerned about here. And it's, um, 
I just I feel like everything's um, everything's slipping a bit. Yeah, it, it's not good. It's not good. Up next, though, uh, as uh, we say, they're going to move on to the tag team champions. So onwards and upwards. But before we close out the show, let's just see if we've had any comments from any of the listeners. So um, Kings Bladders at Pigs Bladders has said uh, in response, uh, we, we tweeted out that Tank's Ab- Tank Abbott's driveway is made out of gold ingots. This isn't an ostentatious show of wealth. He was just running out of storage space for his bullion. Exactly. Yeah, um, you know, you can't keep it all in uh, in pirate treasure chests. No, exactly. And Pink's, Pig's Bladder said you should see his barbecue pit. They melted down the gold and moulded it into solid gold cooking station. It's true of the eighth wonder of the world. And that's where um, that's where Salt Bay, the, uh, the you know the, the chef, actually gets all the uh, the gold plated steaks from. They're all from Tank Abbott's Grill. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, Pigs Bladders actually responded to another tank fact. We, we tweeted out about uh, tank when Tank Abbott booked in to go shark cage diving. The sharks requested that they got their own safety cages. Yeah, that that was true. They did request that. They they learn they learn English to uh, to request it. Yeah, and Pigs Bladders said that he was actually surprised that uh, Tank would go shark cage diving, uh, to be honest, as he thought that sharks would just keep their distance away from a more, more dangerous predator. Well, see, this is the thing, you know, but you can either make a cage for every shark that is in the near vicinity, or you can pay Tank Abbott to just dive in the shark cage which is cheaper there's not a lot in it but it was marginally more cost effective to just pay a tank to go in the cage than not punch out the sharks yeah yeah well well that's it isn't it i mean tank does love punching out sharks though that's your problem we've had a few people uh, contact us with uh, who they'd like to see um tank abbott answer an open challenge against and uh, there's some that are uh, uh, really uh, out of the box thinking uh, becky at uh, Umbogo has put um, you know that episode of Doctor Who with the Slovene and yes. when when they first uh, arrive there's like a, a pig astronaut yeah um, wants Tank Abbott to face the pig astronaut that's a bit cruel because yeah. as I recall the, the, the pig was genetically was well, not gene- yeah, it was genetically engineered and, and the poor thing was just afraid. It was, it was just a pawn in the plot. The thought of that makes me a little bit sad. But also, we, we, we'd get fresh bacon because Tank Abbott punched the pig so hard that it just broke down into its component butchery parts. And to be fair, that would get Tank into the Hooniverse. So. Yes, I mean, for that. Oh, can you imagine Tank Abbott as the Doctor's companion? The Doctor's there. Yeah, that- just trying, just, just trying to figure out what to do, and you know, how do we get out of this impossible situation? Tank smash, tank smash. Yeah, the doctor doesn't like using guns. He never said anything about using tanks. Or a hired gun. <laughs> hired gun, yeah. King's pig bladders back again at pig bladders. He said um, he'd like to see tank face Jake Paul. He'd be a deserving person. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, any discipline of fighting, not fussed about that part, he'll end in the same way. And he's put a gif of uh, a, a child in a tractor running over another child. <laughs> I would very much like that. I'd like to see him face both Paul brothers back to back. 
Yeah, that would be awesome. And uh, thank you, Spike, at KDOG110299 um, has uh, put three people, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Bobby, Bobby Rude, and Dave Meltzer. <laughs> yeah, the last one would be fun. If I had to pick one person to see Tank Abbott knock out, it would be uh, Michael McIntyre. You'd very much enjoy that. I actually, when I uh, tweeted it out, um, I saw a picture of Bernard Manning straight away afterwards and uh, thought it couldn't happen to a nicer man. Yes, strong contender. Strong contender. And Pigbladders has sent us in some hashtag tank art as part of his uh, Barry Howitz appreciation um, day 105. He's found some artwork. Uh, Do you know what uh, that artwork is? I do. I can't remember the exact painting, but it's the um, it, it's the old, it's the sort of old farm couple, isn't it? Um, and I, he's uh, he's changed the heads to Barry Horowitz and Tank Abbott. Yes, it is. I was hoping you'd know that. Oh, I should know. I should know it. And it's um, it's American gothic. It's American Gothic by Grant Wood. It was on the tip of my tongue. Mm, there you go. So, um, yes, Tank's been edited into that with Barry Howitz. And um, he said, um, day 105, over the years, when um, money's a bit tight, Barry worked uh, as an artist model for some amazing talent. Barry takes home a uh, nice paycheck, but when Tank's joining him, they both get paid in gold bars. Very true. Because Tank only accepts payment in gold. Yeah, he, he likes to have some spending bullion. Spending bullying. <laughs> Some loose doubloons lying around. <laughs> so where can people find you, Dan? You can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about uh, wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. And you can hear me on the Doctor Who pod with Cy Powell as we, uh, we go back and forth from uh, old Who to classic Who and see what lands for Sai as a classic hoof. I said old to classic. I meant old to, I meant classic to new who. I've had a drink um, from classic who to new who. Uh, seeing what lands for Sai as the uh, the classic who fan with the new who and vice versa for me as the old who. Although, as I say that, when this lands, uh, we may have unveiled our plans for season three, where we'll be doing things just a little bit differently. Exciting. Are you going to go and cover the expanded universe and all the spin-off shows, Sarah Jane Adventures and Torchwood and Class? It's, it's hard enough keeping track of what we've done already. Never mind going into that. We're not that crazy. No, it's just wrong, um, Dan. Class is class. No one else believes this, but class is class. <laughs> I, I can't judge. I've, n- I've never watched it, so I'll reserve judgment until I watch it. But You, you just have to overlook the horrible plot flaws. <laughs> I'm a wrestling fan. It's my specialty. <laughs> <laughs> horrible plot flaws. It's brilliant. <laughs> Fair enough. No, it's just the way we uh, the way we structure the series and and the sort of the running order of things may uh, may vary wildly. Excellent. Looking forward to it. You're not coming back for season three. <laughs> season four, maybe. I'd I'd make you watch class. <laughs> <laughs> You can find me at UTC Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers. I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back. You can follow the main show on Booking the Territory at UTT 
podcast where season one we're looking at the highest and lowest TV rated episodes for each creative period of the Monday Night Wars. And season two, we're looking at the first and last of wrestling. So it's really worth checking out on the same channel. You can hear the One Man's Meat podcast where Danny, at Scottish Juggalo, and the real Chris Bellis are looking at forgotten storylines, wrestlers that might not get that much love, that kind of thing. Really interesting, great stuff. Uh, and they've got their own projects as, as well, independently, that are worth, uh, worth a listen. So the next episode from here is uh, one that we already covered on, on Booking the Territory. So we'll um, have some new thoughts about that and we'll put in some uh, some classic thoughts as well. It's Tank and Rick versus the WCW Tag Team Champions, Sean Stasiak and Chuck Palumbo. And given how deep we are into this series, I have got a feeling that my opinions will differ wildly to the ones I gave across in, uh, in Unbooking the Territory. Yeah, and we'll hear Lauren's opinions too that we'll tack it on. Which I can pretty much sum up from memory in one word. Shite. Yeah, she wasn't a happy bunny, was she? <laughs> no, no, that's that, that that episode resulted in in in, in many apologies and and, and bribery. <laughs> Just to get her back on the show. That, that's uh, yeah, nearly ended a friendship. So that'll be definitely worth a listen uh, next week when we uh, uh, retread that. It's going to be chaos. I can't wait. Thank you for listening. We are looking outside and arriving to the Norfolk Scope. Hey, Rick, we're done beating everybody up tonight. Let's go to the local bar and order up a bunch of cocktails. We'll have fun doing it. Sounds good to me, Tank. Look at that fat goon. Wait a second. How did that happen? That's a... That's a magic of videotape, pretty boys. That was shot two hours ago.